And a good afternoon. Welcome to you. Welcome to this beautiful Saturday in the city. 16 degrees right now in Toronto on this. The, we're into the second week of October now. It's Ted Wallachian. He's Bill King. And uh, how are you, Mr. Bill? Great, man. Great to be here. Beautiful day. Huh? That's oh, what a week. And next week looks quite the same, Ted. Uh, apparently, yeah. 15, yeah. Uh, 13 tomorrow, 15 Monday, 18 Tuesday. 17 Wednesday, normal high this time of the year, I think, is 15, 16, depending. So we're right on the money. We're then. pretty much. Yeah, yeah, a little, little warmer well, earlier this week, 24 degrees. That 24. was phenomenal. That was a beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Just like those baseball guys. Oh, my goodness. Was that good or not? And I, you know, yesterday I was saying, uh, a friend was telling me, he says, well, well, we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving on Monday, and we'll be giving thanks to the Jays. I said, wait a minute. Remember last year? We played uh, Texas in mm -hmm. the ALDS, mm -hmm. and we opened the series at home, and they took the first two from us, and then we had to go and win the next three. Yeah, it's not over. So, no, it's not over. But it was rough for David Price again last night. Oh, my yeah, goodness. I know. He still hasn't won a, a game in postseason. I thought, huh? I thought uh, the, the, the pars that be would give him a reprieve, but no. No reprieve. You know. Well, it, it just I mean, he got hammered. He was... Yeah. What, by the fourth inning, he's already Seven, no. let in four or five runs? Yeah, well, he, was, he was credited with six altogether. So. <laughs> credited. <laughs> Sounds like something good. We're going to credit you with six runs. Oh, good, thanks. But, but you go back to the decision not to sign him. And our staff, we have a great starting staff now. So, I mean, it, it's in place and it's competitive, and it didn't cost us, what, $130 million or whatever it was for that. It was, just, it was a fortune. Yeah. So. so Jays are on their way. Yeah. And so is Donald Trump. Oh, my goodness gracious. No, this one is. That was. This is uh, some video they had, video audio from five, six it's years audio, ago. It's audio, but him. there's video, too. Yeah, of him talking yeah. about grabbing women. Uh, oh, it's just. It's, no, it's, it's, it's assault. Just, it's way, it's just it's, way, 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 way over the line. And it's not locker room. I mean, I've played sports all my life, and guys say stuff. But they don't say that. They don't come out and say, this is what I've done to somebody. Because everybody would turn around and go, you should be arrested for that. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not the same thing. No. You know, Hillary Clinton's the luckiest woman in the world. It just keeps rolling in for her. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> just guy, he does it on his own, you know. He just keeps winning a lottery every time he, well, opened, he opens his mouth and she wins well, a lottery. You know, this debate is going to be strange tomorrow night, I mean, Sunday night. Right, it's got to be are the you weirdest. Of course, I'm going to watch that. This is this. So you're going to watch it? Can you watch it? The Jays are playing. Probably watch both. Actually, actually, the I watched... Jays and Green Bay. So check this so out. So now the debate for me goes to third place. <laughs> but check this out. I watched the Pence and Kane debate when the Jays were two-two. I watched the whole debate for 90 minutes, and I came back to the Jays game, and it was two-two. And I kind of says, all right, I got everything. And then I got the dramatic home run at the end. So I got, got it all without, without having to spend, you know, an hour and a half sitting and waiting for something to happen. So I have, you I know, know what, I've, <laughs> lost my, I've lost my interest at this point, just uh, we're a month away from the election. Bring, it's over. It's long bring over. Bring on the election. I, I don't even want to listen to what either of them have to say at, right. at this point. But I want to hear what you have to say. About what? Anything. Well, give, me, so, give me something else that's, you, that's on your agenda here. I don't have any agenda. Yeah, you have to. You're repairing yourself, and you're coming along now. My arm is getting better. Yeah, I noticed that. Slowly, slowly, slowly. We got a fascinating show for you. I just mm -hmm. did a, a pre-interview 
with a gentleman who has written, uh, co-wrote and directed a documentary called Off the Line. It's a story of a guy who uh, has been incarcerated. He's from New York City. He's currently in jail. 32 times he's been thrown in jail for illegally driving buses and subways in New York City. He didn't steal them. He just got on impersonating bus drivers and subway drivers, and he would do the route that was assigned to that bus because he knew them all. He suffers from Asperger's syndrome. So he's been doing this. First time he did it illegal, he was 15. And he's befriended all these different drivers over the years. Since he was about eight years old, he started kind of hanging around because he had this fascination with subways and buses and got to know them well. And eventually, as they started retiring, he started getting their badges and their jackets and keys to the various buses and stuff. And he considers himself to be somewhat of a, of a superman. It's a public service. He has not hurt anybody. There's never been an accident. He's never caused any problems among the passengers. Everybody quite likes him. He's more uh, enthusiastic, more energetic than, than the average driver is. He's just, that's his deal. So now he's in jail again. Uh, but it could be like the end of the line jail already. 32, right. 32 times when you're incarcerated. It's just a fascinating story. I said to the director, you'll hear it at the end of the show. We're, I think, quarter three or something we're playing. Uh, I said to him, I said, you know, had you presented this to a, a motion picture company as a full-length film, uh, fictional, they would laugh you out of the office, say, nobody's going to buy this. It's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. N- nobody's going to do that. It would never have happened. But it's true. Sometimes you, you, you can't write things as peculiar as the things that are real in life. And this is one of those examples. This sounds like a Julia Roberts movie. Well, she's in it. She plays uh, his lawyer. It will, be a, it will be a film. It's not ready yet. Right. documentary showing at the Hot Docs uh, Cinema now until... Yeah. The thirteenth, so another five days, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what's new with you? Oh, we had a great week at the Jazz Bistro. Played there this last week, and it was the Broadway singer Cornelia Luna and the Barbara Streisand project. It was just fantastic. You know, play that material, play that great music of the early years of Barbara Streisand, which are my favorite. You know, from sixty-one, sixty-three, sixty-four, sixty-five. That area, era of people and great material like that was just just a gas so here's a, a te- yeah. by the way we're we're welcoming your texts as always at yeah, 7, absolutely 10. here's one from um guy calls himself mr available he texts quite often the reason trump will get elected is simple because even if he is an incompetent moronic bore he'll still get elected why because he can still manage better than any politically correct government the americans have nothing to lose by electing him mr available mr available the unfortunate thing is he's way behind on electoral college votes, and that is what it's will over. get you in, yeah. not the fact that they have nothing to lose. So There's much to lose. Appreciate what you're saying, but yeah. it's just, yeah. it ain't going to happen. And electoral votes have not moved in months, so no. it will move in her favor Yeah, in, no, in, the, in the next week or so. But yeah. it's, it has stayed the same, about 98 <clears throat> votes apart. And that's what gets people elected. Yeah. It's not, not you, you can you can have more votes 
in general, you can yeah, right. outscore the next year candidate, but if you don't have the electoral college votes and it's a confusing system, you'll lose. And that's unfortunately why he will lose if you're in for him. <laughs> However, that's enough of that. Enough yeah. of that. That's over and done. So uh, we're also going to be talking about um, a documentary called Bugs on the Menu. Pete, you've turned listened to people talking recently about eating crickets. Mike was talking about it. He has eaten crickets in there. Yeah. Yeah. He said were, they were kind of tasty, crunchy, kind of. How were they? Soft? I did not say that. They were really gross. <clears throat> oh, they were, were they? gross. So, but you said they were kind of crunchy and crunchy. And, like, well, they would be crunchy, sure. Uh, no, that was me, the other Mike. I, I actually didn't mind them. Oh, no, it's the other Mike. Yeah. So two mics, two, two different opinions. Two different opinions on That's crickets. That's why you got to love <laughs> democracy. That's right, Dave J. You should have been talking you know to the other Mike. what the this is, though? Now we know Mike will eat anything. <clears throat> yeah, give it to Mikey. He'll eat <laughs> the anything. The cleanup yeah. eater. Uh, so why was it gross? Like, is, is it the taste or just the concept? Like, uh, if you were it wasn't the concept. If it was like pout, it was the texture. That was it. Like the taste, the taste of like whatever it was seasoned with. But the texture, I knew it was crickets. You know, some people can't eat oysters because of the texture That's as right. well. And I also can't eat oysters. Yeah, they, yeah. See, I love oysters. That texture doesn't bother me at all. Do you just swallow them or do you eat them? No, you chew them. Well, the, you big, chew them? the big ones, you, you can you can chew them up. Right. Some, some of the smaller ones, you just right down. Mm. Wash them down with some sauce and hot sauce, whatever whatever you want. Hillary Clinton is a sniveling liberal feminist worm. She represents that. everything America hates, Timothy. Oh, oh. Thank you. Thank you, thank Timothy. You. <laughs> 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 I didn't realize funny. that Americans <laughs> hated sniveling liberal <laughs> feminist worms. <laughs> Are there chauvinistic <laughs> pig worms as well, or just that's uh, a that's a good worms. one there. Anyway, we'll give you the rest of the show. Uh, what's coming up uh, in a few moments? You're listening to Saturday with Ted on News Talk 1010. All right, welcome back to the program. Um, yes, you're right. You're hearing the introduction twice. I don't know what happened there. We just couldn't click in properly. Did, uh, you want to hit, hit the keys now, see, see if it's working, though. Is that working? All right. I don't know what happened. It's a technical thing. It truly is, isn't it? it truly is. Coming up on the program, uh, Frank Weber is back. He's the president of T-Squared, a tea uh, company, a uh, fascinating story. He's going to talk to us about cooking with tea. Never thought about that. Uh -uh. Well, cooking with tea. Also, coming up uh, at 1 o'clock, Stephen Skivington will join us, as he usually does, talk about Steve Pakin's latest book about former Premier William G. Davis, one of the longest-serving premiers here in Ontario, as Mr. Skivington points up, bland Brampton Billy may not have been so bland after all. I never found him to be bland, necessarily. Sort of buttoned down. Also, uh, why do people lose their minds over sports? 
That's, That's a good true. question to well, pose I, you. Well, no, you know it's interesting because here's this all goes back to this this yo-yo who threw the whoever 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 yeah. it was who threw the beer in the field, which reminded me of a story years ago mm-hmm. when the Argos were playing the Grey Cup in uh, in, in Winnipeg. Um, pinball, no, it wasn't, wasn't pinball. I can't remember who it was. It was going down for for a touchdown. Somebody in the Winnipeg crowd threw a beer on the field at him as well. Right. And then why do people, why wouldn't, when you win this, the Stanley Cup, is it important to, to burn cars? Like, shouldn't you be celebrating? So that's what we'll talk about. We're going to be joined by uh, Dr. Um, Anu Rebaragoda, who is going to talk to us about uh, food poisoning, this being Thanksgiving weekend what to watch out for. Michael Gelbert, very funny comedian, will join us as well. And Scott Bradley from Postmodern Jukebox. Right now, joining me, I'll tell you, I ran into this book at, at my friend uh, Helenda's store, written by a woman named Mary Kushner. And it's all about uh, traditions. This is written about the, uh, specifically about Ukrainian traditions, uh, whether they be uh, um, religious or whether they be traditions that are not born out of religion necessarily, and the foods that nationalities have. And she and I were talking about this. I said, you know, this is interesting because this isn't just about Ukrainians. It's, it's the same about Italians. I'll talk to Italian friends who will say, got a real concern because when my grandmother dies, there's no one in the family who knows how to make gnocchi like she does. And no one in, in our German family understands our ancestry and our traditions and our religious traditions like my grandparents did. And these are all things that are going to be lost as generation moves from gen- one generation to another. And now you're seeing uh, there's a lot more um, mixed marriages, and that tends to, and I'm not saying that, that, that that's a bad thing. It's just that tends to whittle down if you're not careful or if you don't really care about it. But this, this book is quite, quite fascinating, and uh, Mary joins me on the line now, and its proceeds are going to uh, help the... Um, it's the it's so, Ukrainian Social Services, right? That's right. Okay, Mary, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Ted? I'm very well. Where did the idea from the book, uh, for the book come from? Well, my mother uh, was living at a nursing home called the Ukrainian Canadian Care Center, and uh, one day, one of the daughters came up to me, and she said that she would like to make uh, a special dish called patichke, which is meat on a stick, like her mother used to make, but her mother just passed away and never passed on the recipe. Mm-hmm. And I kind of said to her, oh, I'm sorry your mother passed away, but I can give you my recipe, the one that my mother gave me. And so I passed on the recipe, and then we started talking, and other people started listening. And the priest that's associated with the church, Father Tatarin, announced in church, he had an idea that I could write a book about all the recipes that are available in the heads of the people that are around the church. There's a a senior's residence there as well as the nursing home. I got 200 recipes, handwritten, verbal, nothing on, on a computer. Everything was individual. So I had to verify everything. And in verifying it, I got a, a group of women together, including my mother at the care center, and we did the recipes every Thursday. I mainly did it to get pictures because I wanted to put pictures into the cookbook. And there was a woman there who lived at the residence but was blind, and she desperately wanted to come and cook with us. And I said to her, I'm so sorry, but I'm afraid that, you know, it's not very safe for you to be around us, but sit beside us and sing to us. So she was very much involved, listened to what we talked about and so forth. And I must say that um, there was four of us, plus myself, 
we just enjoyed it every Thursday afternoon to be able to prepare something. And whatever we made, we just shared with everybody in the nursing home. So when we finished the, you know, the book and everything was done, we sat down and we were talking about it. And she said to us girls, because she was 97, everybody else was a bit younger, don't forget there's more to being Ukrainian than just our culinary traditions or our kitchen. There are more about the joys of family and our celebrations. They define our identity. And, and, I've, and as I mentioned at, at the outset, Mary, that I believe that this to be true for pretty much every nationality yeah. that, that, that you can think of because exactly. they all have different, uh, different traditions, different customs, uh, many of whom uh, would like to, many of those people would like to keep those traditions or at least remember and understand where they're from. And a book such as yours, which is called Our Celebrations, it wouldn't surprise me to see that uh, this book re- be reprinted um, by someone in the German community or the Italian community or oh, the Jewish community yeah. or, or any other community that you can imagine. And it's a perfect, uh, perfect book and perfect opportunity to discuss these uh, during this weekend of Thanksgiving. Your, your book's available at Hollenders. Yes, I met Richard at one of a, a trade show that we were doing, and we were talking, and he took a look at the book, and then he came back a little while later. He says, you know what, I want to sell the book at my store. I was amazed. Yeah, well, good stuff. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. Thank you very much, and the same to you. All right, coming up after the break at the bottom of the hour, Cooking with Tea, right here on News Talk 1010. It's Saturday with Ted on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thank you, Mr. Bill. Welcome back to the program, 1232 at this moment. I don't know how long ago it was, three, four, five months ago. We welcomed uh, our next guest to our program, who owns a company called T-Squared. Well, we have welcomed back Frank Weber, president of T-Squared. And this time, he's going to talk about some of his new product, but also cooking with tea. Now, when Tony and I talked about this, I think, okay, well, that's interesting. I could see you could make some desserts or some things. Good Lord, there must be 40 things that you've got here. <laughs> thanks How for are you, me. by the way? Good, good. Thanks for having me back. You know, my pleasure. How's, uh, how's business? Oh, business has been great. I mean, we've, uh, we've really we've launched a number of new products, and, um, you know, we're all over Canada now and just getting into the U.S. with T-squared and um, our organic lines of loose-leaf tea, Buddha leaf tea. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's been, it's been interesting. Uh, Are these new ones here? Yeah, the matcha matcha is a is a latte mix line, which is brand new. I mean, matcha has been taking off uh, just incredibly because of all its health benefits now. So what we've done is we've taken it a bit to the next level. Really, we've created these um, these mixes, which you can use uh, either in hot or cold milk, soy milk, almond milk, you know, whatever you like. But they're also great uh, for to add just to a smoothie and uh, really versatile when it comes to making really simple desserts. Mm-hmm. And you still get your, a little bit of matcha in your in your daily as a daily fix. Here are some of the um, different kinds you can get: ginger matcha latte, 
vanilla almond matcha latte, decadent chocolate chai, Kyoto matcha latte, nutty cacao latte. Did I get that, yeah? Yeah, the naughty cocoa latte is uh, cocoa it's, uh, latte. basically it's like a hot chocolate for adults. It has matcha in it, but also pure dark chocolate and um, a little bit of cayenne. So it's got a little bit of a uh, spicy kick to it. Who comes really up nice. with these ideas? No, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I used to be a chef, so it's uh, okay. it's kind of in my blood, right? And uh, developing all the teas has always been uh, really one of the fun parts of my business. Mm. Uh, that and, of course, uh, traveling a little bit and finding new new teas. Um, to, well, in this case, uh, we cooked with them, but that's not something I do every day. But, I mean, as you know, probably um, cooking with tea dates back uh, almost as long as tea itself, or maybe even longer. I mean, tea's been around for 5,000 years since 2737 in China, B.C., and um, at the beginning, tea wasn't really a culinary staple. It was, uh, it was more of, well, it was a culinary staple. It was more of a sustenance. I mean, you, mm-hmm. would, you would pickle the leaves and eat them um, because they're very nutritious. I mean, you'd have them in stews, uh, a seasoning, or you'd, uh, you'd have them in salads and things like that. To this date, tea is still used that way in Tibet, and they, they steep it in yak butter. It's, it's, it's used for sustenance. So um, I've done a couple of things here which I, which I enjoy doing. Uh, with tea is um, the first uh, the first little dish you have in front of you here is a, is a duck prosciutto. So it's a it's a duck breast I've cured with uh, some some coarse sea salt um, and some it's very dark very shell. dark color. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it would be. It's kind of like bison. This I mean, there's a mm-hmm. layer of fat on top, but other than that, it's quite lean meat. Um, so it's cured and. Um, I use this uh, tea that I really love in the wintertime. It's called Lapsang Sushong. It's a smoked tea from China. They smoke the leaves over pine amber. So it has this really deep kind of fireplace aroma, very kind of comforting. And it gives a particular dark meat, that, that smoky flavor to it. And uh, we get a little bit of a, uh, some apple slaw and, uh, and an apple and cinnamon chutney underneath. So it's just like a nice appetizer type, um, type idea. Mm-hmm. Here you got... Um Smoked salmon. Yeah, you like that one. I you? like that yeah. a, lot, a lot. It's it's on a little. Um, it's uh, it's on a bagel. Yeah, it's on a little bagel. bagel. Yeah, smoked yeah, bagel. Absolutely. It's um it's actually not smoked. It's it's cured. It's like lox. Yeah, okay. it's like lox. So it's cured with uh, with salt and sugar, and spices. And I've used uh, this oolong I found in Wuishan in the Wuji Mountains in China. Tell me about the process of of, of curing um, salmon. To, to turn it into locks. It's it's a lengthy process. No, it's actually it's really not? simple. No, it's quite simple. I mean, you can use different types of spices, but just a basic recipe would be, I would mix coarse sea salt, um, you know, two to one with, with sugar, mix that in a bowl, get it nicely mixed through. And then I would take a side of salmon with the skin on, uh, make sure the bones are all out, um, season it, some pepper. Um, in, in in Sweden, when they make the gravlax, they use juniper berries and things like that. I've done it with jasmine tea or just more traditional, just fresh dill. You can chop up some fresh dill, just pack it on top of the salmon with a little bit of uh, pepper, and then bury the entire filet of salmon basically with the salt and sugar mixture. And that cures it in about two days. Well, that's what I meant by by a long oh, process. Right, right. Not not the actual um, the the work part of it is not long. No, it's not. But at it all. takes a long time yeah. before you can yeah. eat it. Yeah, yeah, quite simple, quite mm-hmm. simple. So this one I've cured with uh, this beautiful <clears throat> uh, floral oolong I found in Wuishan. I was there last year, and we were really fortunate. 
to eat with the farmers and they showed us the process of making the teas. And um, so oolongs are between green and black tea. They're, they're partially oxidized. Mm-hmm. And this type of oolong, is, it's very, very floral. Got these orchid flavors that, um, that are quite lovely. So it is subtle cooking with tea. It's not like bacon. It's not a flavor that, you know, really stands out. And, right. Uh, but it really, um, you can absolutely taste it. In that was it is really good. Yeah, and then instead of um, having usually with graft lax, you often see a uh, just a honey mustard sauce. So what I've done is I've taken some coarse mustard here and actually used one of our matcha matcha or ginger latte mix. So uh, it has some ginger and some green tea in there. And, uh, are these uh, recipes that you're telling me about now, are they available somewhere? You know what? We have a lot of recipes on our website. So if you go to uh, tsquare.ca, uh, we uh, we showcase all of the dessert recipes. Because I know people are going to be asking me that. In a few yeah, minutes no, from all, now. every all the desserts that you see here, and we've got quite a few. I mean, we've got the uh, the uh, biscottis, which are made with the ginger matcha latte. Then we've got um, some beautiful shortbreads with our green chai. So that's also again matcha, and then all the chai spices, cinnamon, clove, cardamom. We have the fizellis, uh, the really thin waver, thin uh, um, cookies. Uh, the coconut haystacks are made with mm-hmm. uh, the vanilla almond matcha, and then this one here is a uh, is a dessert with uh, that's quite rich. You should maybe if you have some room later, it's really nice. It's a milfoil. Well, even if I don't, I can always there's always <laughs> room find for, someone, uh, for dessert. Sure. You can always slide yeah, it in there yeah. somewhere. It's not like a real part of the meal. Yeah, yeah. That one we use a custard, which mm-hmm. is very easily made. So these recipes uh, for the matcha matcha latte mix is quite simple. Yeah. And, and how many of these are, are traditional in the sense that they we know these as you explained the history of tea. And it goes back thousands and thousands of years, but how many of these kinds of meals would have been prepared using tea? Oh, if you go back to the Japanese culture, there's a lot of cooking there with matcha, right? right. I mean, a lot of them, the Japanese, dessert, everybody's had green tea ice cream, right? Mm-hmm. You go to a Japanese sure. restaurant. I mean, that's been around for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. so maybe not the ice cream part, but certainly um, uh, certainly uh, pastries and, and cooking with, uh, with uh, green tea powder in particular, because it's quite simple. I mean, you can... You can cook with tea in desserts quite easily. You can steep the tea in, in it's very good to steep it in, in um, cream, for example. So in Earl Grey brulee, you can make a nice cream caramel or cream brulee with that in terms of if you're steeping, if you're steeping the tea in the cream first and the milk that you're going to be using later. Chais work really well like that. You get all those beautiful, you know, chai flavors, all those, you know, you get a lot of the holiday flavors. You'll find when you have the, um, um, the shortbread there with, uh, with the green chai in it, it's, it's kind of, a, it reminds me of German Christmas markets, you know, you get all those. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. flavors in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are you, are you uh, constantly working on creating new teas? Are you working on creating new recipes? Or is it a combination of both? It's when you come up with a, an idea for a new tea, you say, you know, this would really work well with this kind of food. Uh, I, I don't think about the food and cooking with tea so much. In the, the food, the food comes after the tea. It, it comes after the tea. I mm. mean, tea is, uh, is is my primary focus, and um, you know, I've been fortunate with Tea Square to be able to create all these different flavors and and get them out there. I mean, we're we're distributed quite well all over Canada now, and um, you know, the the Tea Squared line. Uh, it's, um, so where can people get T-Squared? Is it available in most grocery stores? Uh, T-Squared is in, yeah, it's in Sobeys. Uh, it's in, you know, in some of the smaller independents, Pusateris, uh, McEwen's. So, yeah. yeah. But um, also, you know who does a great job with our teas is Bed Bath & Beyond. They have uh, all our really? three lines. They have T-Squared as well as our Buddha, our Buddha leaf line of organic loose leaf teas. Metro carries them as well. So all the metro stores have them. Um, there are some chains out west, uh, you know, thrifty. Statistically, the consumption of tea up uh, by a lot in the last, say, 10 years? 
Absolutely. Um, tea's been growing double digits. and um, Well, you notice in the coffee shops, there's oh, tea, sure. tea galore. I mean, tea That's has undergone, undergone quite a revolution in terms of... Uh, is that your cell phone? It is my fault. Sorry <laughs> about that. Well, I made sure I left it. <clears throat> Very nice. Yeah. But, uh, you know, AgriFoods Canada... Kind of doing the radio thing. Uh, I'll call you back. AgriFoods Canada predicted a couple of years ago that tea in Canada, Canadian consumption, would go up uh, by 40% by 2000, 2020. Ah. And so we're two years into that prediction, and we're certainly seeing that that those numbers uh, work out. Good stuff. We'll come back and continue talking about T-Square and, and the foods prepared uh, for us by Frank Weber, who is president of T-Square. When we return, it is 1242 at News Talk 1010. Saturday with Ted on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thank you, Bill King. Welcome back to the program, 1247. My guest in the studio, Frank Weber, who is the president of T-Squared. You can get uh, their products, as we mentioned, pretty much every major, major grocery store and all the high-end Pusateries and McEwen's and a new line of... Um, Teas, they're lattes, right? Yeah, these are matcha latte mixes. So with uh, matcha green tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean everybody's now familiar with matcha. Do you want me to just uh, do a Please little do. bit of a primer on it? Yeah. Uh, matcha is an interesting uh, tea because um, it is extremely high in antioxidants, vitamins, and uh, polyphenols. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, the reason for that is that uh, matcha has traditionally been grown in Japan. I mean, it was invented in China in the Tang Dynasty, but Buddhist monks brought it to Japan in the 8th century, and, and Japan really uh, took it to the next level and made uh, the Japanese culture is, is basically based very, very strongly on tea and Zen Buddhism and so forth. Um, matcha is grown in the field, obviously, and it's made into a green tea first. It's made into a very, very high-end green tea. So even though it's a powder, it's by no stretch of the imagination an instant tea. Um, the, the, the teas are harvested first, and, and they, they become a, a gyokuro, basically the top-of-the-line Japanese green tea. But what happens before the harvest is very integral to the whole process. The plants are being shaded for about two weeks, so they cover the entire plantation with curtains. Now that senses the plant into shock. The, stand, the plant is starving for light. It increases the chlorophyll content. It pushes all the nutrients into the young shoots hmm. so that they can thrive and survive, and therefore they are higher in concentration of all the good stuff. Now, after the leaves are, are harvested and made into a green tea, the leaves are deveined and sifted. So all the little veins or hard parts come out. And then they're painstakingly stone ground in granite and granite grinding stones. Takes about an hour to make 50 grams of matcha powder. So uh, when, you, when you actually uh, drink matcha, you whisk it into warm water. And now we've come up with, with different ways as well. We have individual matcha sticks, so you can just have them like the sugar sticks you have yep. in restaurants sometimes. Sure. We package it like that. You can just put it in a water bottle on the go and shake it because matcha dissolves very easily. So you're, you're getting all the nutrients of matcha in, in, in a very convenient package there as well. So you can make it cold, mix two teaspoons of matcha with two ounces of hot water. Stir until it's dissolved, and then you add eight ounces of milk 
and pour over ice. Yeah, so this, these are the these are latte mixes. So we, yes. we created six flavors, and that's more of a, of a culinary approach, more of a fun way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And the lattes are delicious. So we have a, uh, a pure uh, green uh, latte, which is uh, the Kyoto. Uh, then we have our vanilla and almond. Uh, there's the ginger, which I like a lot. It's got a little bit of a bite, a little kick from the ginger when it goes down. We have um, a typical traditional green chai. And then two of them are chocolate-based, really high-grade dark cocoa uh, with uh, obviously some matcha. One is the decadent uh, chocolate chai with uh, all the chai spices, cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, cardamom. And the other one is uh, the naughty cocoa latte, which has a bit of a kick from the cayenne. And that's mm -hmm. why we made that little tart uh, with that you just had. The little yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Um, by the way, you can go to um, matcha, M-A-C-H-A-C-A, for more information on this, or you can go T-squared. You've got your own website You as can well. find all the information on T-squared.ca. And the, well. some of the recipes as well. Yes, that's right. This uh, little tart, um, <laughs> this little tart I have in my hand, <laughs> it sounds like Donald Trump. <laughs> This little tart here, it looks like it's pear. It is. It's poached pear, and then we've made a custard with the uh, naughty cocoa latte. So it's a chocolate custard with a bit of the green, with the green tea and the cayenne in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what is what are these little crumbles on top? Uh, those are pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin those seeds. Are pumpkin seeds. Yeah. So there's a there's a definite sweetness to this, but there's also a, a bit of a kick to it. Yeah. So it makes it interesting. I mean, the the trend to 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 less. It's sweets, very nice. It's a great combination. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the trend really to less sweet is everywhere. I think like sugar is becoming the cigarettes of the 21st mm -hmm. century. You know, it's like we're 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 not even in our iced teas. We have our bottled Buddha leaf iced teas. We use very 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 low sugar levels. But you're also using cane sugar. We use organic cane sugar, um, and uh, th it's very low. The reason why we use it at all is because th there is the, the mouthfeel is important too. You want to create a product that also tastes great, right? And we found that by just adding a little bit of sugar, we really boost the sweetness and we really bring out the flavor, right? Is this particular scrumptious little tart here on your website? Yes, all the desserts are on the website. Okay. And they're really easy to make with the, with the matcha latte mixes. The matcha latte mixes are brand new. These are, so gr these are great uh, uh, Thanksgiving desserts, by the way. They would be. They're really hard to find at the moment. I think we just launched them. They're available at Bed Bath & Beyond, and I know that Metro has expressed some interest, but that'll still take some time. So at the moment, I don't think you can even find them anywhere else. Uh, but, oh, but I have some that you brought me. You do. I could I could be standing <laughs> out there in the, par in the parking lot yeah. on Queen Street. Hey, buddy, you know what? Some matcha? Hot, uh, the, the decadent chocolate chai with a little bit of Kahlua or Bailey's or so would be a nice winter remedy. <laughs> I like the way you put that remedy. But we're not trying to get you drunk. This is just good for you. It's a remedy. <laughs> uh, let's see what else we have here. We've got some shortbread cookies, as you'd mentioned. Yeah, shortbread cookies also made with the, um, the green chai. So this is, these are the ones I was talking about that remind me a bit of the Christmas markets mm -hmm. and all those, you know, uh, those uh, I'll be sampling all flavors. of this when we go off the air. I hope so. You've already sampled well, I, I, it. Well, as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> I do have this. this it one. might take you some time, yes. But no, it's, it's a great way to, to add some tea to your diet. But uh, I mean, really, the desserts are, they're just fun and they're really easy to make. And it's something very simple. Um, so the matcha matcha, I think uh, it's, uh, it's. I would wager that popular. a vast majority of the people who are listening right now wouldn't, maybe it's just me, but I would think that most people had never considered maybe using tea a little bit here, a little bit there, but not using tea as your base for great, great foods. 
most people maybe not, but you know what? The restaurants and chefs have caught on this, sure, well, this yeah. years ago. And you see tea being used in a lot of restaurants and, and chefs are playing with it. They're making brimes and marinations and they're adding it to to all kinds of in all kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. And it, it's I mean for me as a you know teophile obviously it's it's a wonderful thing to see because there are so many great flavors to be had. I mean I know when you were on the program initially I asked you this question. I'm going to ask you again because I don't recall the answer and for people who didn't who weren't here when you were you and I first chatted, why did you move from being a chef to being the tea man? You know what life Life sometimes uh, gives you some choices, and at the time when I made that decision, I grew up with tea. I, tea was always in my life. I was 12 years old. We had loose-leaf teas back in, in Germany, and um, I knew the difference between an Assam and a Darjeeling back then, and then I played and had you know vanilla black teas and jasmine green and so forth, so it was always a big part of my life mm-hmm. in loose-leaf form. And as I became a chef, uh, obviously, it was always there. Uh, at some, I, had a, I had my own restaurant years back, and I decided to... Uh, I left Canada for a couple of years, went to Germany, opened a restaurant, and then decided to come back to Canada. And at that time, I had to make a decision. What was I going to do next? It wasn't going to be another restaurant. The tea passion had always been there, and I realized that there weren't any tea shops here. This was in 2016 years ago. There was nothing. So I studied a lot. I got a lot of samples. I immersed myself in the subject. And it took me about a year to um, to get, gather all the knowledge and the contacts I needed at the time to open the first store. So I opened tea stores and then a couple more after that. And then a few years later, I moved into wholesale and started Tea Squared because I thought that at that time, there was a huge opportunity to bring it to the next level. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what Tea Squared has done with Tea Squared and Buddha Leaf Teas. Uh, we brought it to mainstream retailers at prices below the below what you would find in a specialty tea boutique and the quality is better so we're out there now and you can you can easily you can easily find it if you go to sobeys we have 16 flavors at sobeys mm-hmm. it's quite a selection well i mean i, I can see that you you're a, a smart business person, but i can clearly see that you have a a true passion for tea i do no yeah. i mean I, I couldn't live a day without no seriously it's uh it's the first thing in the morning the first thing i do and uh very often the last thing at night and, and in between. Uh, it doesn't The day doesn't go by where I don't drink at least five different types of teas. Hmm. That's why I'm 74 and still look like this. You're not 74. <laughs> you said you're not 74. No, no, I'm 50. Uh, almost, geez. almost. <laughs> Couple of days. That's okay. You, yeah, all right. Uh, it, it's, it's really quite fascinating. I, I find the way the mind works when, when I speak to different chefs how they come up, they create different concoctions. And I'm not sure that it's always planned, that sometimes you think, well, let's just see what happens with this and this, and then, well, that's interesting. But the result that... was an accidental result, but sometimes even better than what you had planned. But absolutely, but that's history. Champagne has been created like that. Was it? it of course. Dom Perignon was a monk uh, who, who created it by, by accident. Bread. I mean, think of some of these processes. You know, who, who decided to let something rot, basically, ferment? Wine is the same idea, right? We, it, <laughs> it, it, it is delicious. I wouldn't want to have... Some guy know. who was hammered and forgot he had it. <laughs> but a lot of, I mean, a lot of the greatest inventions, especially in food, I think are created by accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can get a lot of these products, as we mentioned, the new line of, um, of the matcha lattes, you can get them bed, bath, and beyond right now. Yes, yeah, so they've just been launched. We we don't have them in many uh, retail stores yet. There are some independent stores. I, I, I couldn't name them all right now. 
Um, but in terms of major retailers, yeah, they, they would have it. And you can go to T-Squared for more. In, is that T-Squared.com? Dot .ca. Dot .ca. Mm-hmm. T-Squared dot .ca. Again, some great things for your um, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving plate. Thank you. Thank you. Thanksgiving. Have a happy Thanksgiving to you as well. You too. Thanks. Cheers. That's Frank Weber, president of T-Squared. Coming up, Stephen Skivington. We'll look at Stephen Pakin's book on... Premier William Davis, one of the longest-running premiers in this province, right here on News Talk 1010. You're listening to Saturday with Ted on News Talk 1010. Hello. I got a text here from Zach from Oakville. I was born and raised with German culture. This weekend, we decided to do Oktoberfest theme for a Thanksgiving, sausage, beer, all the traditional sides. Nice to change it up every once in a while and enjoy the culture we were raised with. And that uh, all stemmed back from an interview that I did uh, with Mary Kushner, who wrote a book called Our Celebrations, which is about the Ukrainian traditions. But it's true. You got all these great uh, traditions, all these great foods, German, Ukrainian, Italian, you name it. Everybody's got uh, something. Okay. But well, yes. we had a big dinner last night. Did you? Yeah, Pablo and our friends, has, for, at least for 30 years, they have a Thanksgiving dinner and a Christmas dinner, and they treat people to it. And it was the big turkey, the meltdown last night. It was fantastic. Good for you. But it's always a great event. So I'll be uh, stuffing. What are you going to be? Monday, I'm stuffing Monday. myself. Anything particular? Uh, usual trimmings. Trimmings, yeah? Usual From stuff. Helinda's? Or, yeah, or, well, yeah. There'll yeah. be some stuff from Helinda's. Okay. And, Stuff from the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> the real trimmings. Yes. Um, Ted, are you and Bill going to see Marathon of Hope in St. Jacob's? I saw it. It is incredible. Marathon of Hope. You kind of have to explain what that I, is. I'm not sure what that yeah, is either. Yeah. I'm sure we'll find out. We will now. It comes from um, someone in Kitchener, Waterloo. Uh, St. Jacob's is a great, great area. Yeah. yeah beautiful. The market there? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Holanda's yeah. is there. Thursdays and Saturdays. I should have known. No, they are. Are they really? Thursdays and Saturdays. That's right. Now, here's an interesting one. Before we get to Mr. Skivington, he'll probably want to comment on this. What Donald Trump said was wrong. In 2005, he was not in politics. If we would have judged males in the past for all the wrong things they said about women, none of them would be in politics or should have been in politics. Remember when they said women are not the person's so they that cannot vote. At least Donald Trump has apologized. Government officials are still committing wrongdoings against women all over the world today and won't even admit it. Um, I don't buy it. That doesn't hold up. <clears throat> it's, it's sexual assault, what he was talking about. Well, you know what? I mean, it was 11 know. years ago. It wasn't like he was in grade five. Uh, no, but he's, yeah, and, it's, and he, <clears throat> still, he still does what he does. No, and yeah, yeah. government uh, are committing wrongdoings against women all over the world. You're right. What does that have to do with what Nothing Donald Trump with said? And governments around the world, uh, officials, aren't running to be the president. No. Okay. Marathon of Hope. It's Terry Fox's life story done as a stage musical. Wow. Oh, there you go. That would be great. Thank yeah. you very much for that. Yeah. I was not aware of that, but that's great. That's playing in St. Jacob's, Marathon of Hope. Terrific. Marvelous. Thanks very much. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Stephen Skimmington is the founder and president of Polytrain. He's also a syndicated columnist, and occasionally he even reads books. And he has, in fact, just 
concluded, I'm assuming, Steve Pakin's book on William G. Davis, one of the longest-running premiers in the province of Ontario. Good day, sir. Hello, how are you? He wasn't the longest-running, was he? He was the longest-running in the 20th century, but uh, uh, Oliver Mowat was actually the only one ahead of him. So he had 14 years. He's the second-longest-serving premier of Ontario. Uh, Brampton Billy, who's who's still around, by the way, for those of you uh, wondering, and um, still lives out in beautiful home out in Brampton. He's, 80, he's 87 now. Yep. Now, now you you suggest that after reading this, that he may have not been so bland after all. I don't recall him being bland. I see him, and I've met him a number, numerous amount of times. I've uh, he's a great sense of humor. Yeah, he, I he would had, have described him more as sort of buttoned down. Yeah, he had fun with his image. Someone accused him of being bland years ago, and he, he uttered the famous line, bland works. Uh, he was, uh, and, and when you look at his accomplishments, four consecutive election victories, which no one's done since before the First World War, and two of those uh, he managed to have election number two and three were minorities. He, he had a minority government basically run for like six years, uh, which is just unbelievable when you think of now they hardly last two. Um, as education minister, he was the education minister for John Robarts in the 60s, so he invented the community college system, uh, is responsible for uh, five of, the, uh, of our universities, a TVO, um, the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. These were all things he did. Um, behind only Pierre Trudeau, he was the number two man most responsible as far as having a constitution and a charter of rights. He's responsible for us having Skydome. He's the one that made that decision. Uh, if you've ever enjoyed walking in the park below Eglinton Avenue, uh, where the um, Spadina Expressway stops, he's the one that stopped it. And on and on and on. He also he appointed the first female cabinet minister. It, it's just a whole bunch of things. You can just go on and on <clears> and on with this. But he also he, lowered he, the I, he also lowered the drinking age, which got him a whole bunch of votes one year. And I told him about that when I saw him once. Yeah. I said, "How many votes did you figure that bought you?" And he just laughed. Yeah, he he was well. Then there was the famous the famous one too. Is is that when he won in 1971? And I, I I remember this vividly because the 1971 uh, leadership convention to to replace Robards was the first time I ever watched really anything in politics. I guess I was about 12, 13. And uh, that one was the famous one where they had it at Maple Leaf Gardens, and it was the first time ever they're using electronic voting. Mm-hmm. And the ice on the machines under the boards screwed up the computers, so it, so it didn't work. So after six hours of not being able to vote, they announced we're going to do it by hand and <laughs> to a chorus of boos. Uh, but he just barely won that. He just barely won that. He, he wasn't necessarily the favorite to win it. And there are suggestions that he made. Uh, the way he won it was he made a promise to the, uh, the Catholics that uh, he would um, bring in full funding. Up until then, it was, I believe, up until grade 10, uh, before he was finished. And so they sort of assumed in the next year, next two years, before the next election. And famously, of course, as he was leaving in 1985, after 14 years, like about a month before he left, he brought in full funding, which some would say is why his, his predecessor, Frank Miller, lost that election. But uh, the, the book is fabulously done. Steve's been writing it for like 10 years. Uh, this is just such a passion of his. And Bill Davis was wonderful in that he said, you have full access to my archives. 
Uh, the only thing I ask is I want a chapter on my dad and a chapter on the Constitution. Hmm. Uh, and, 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 you know, obviously I know how I feel about that. Otherwise, I'm not even going to read it. You're, you, you go ahead and write, it's your book, you write what you want, which was fabulous. So, um, you know, a lot of premiers have had books out who haven't accomplished anywhere, anything anywhere close to what he accomplished. But I, I wanted to share one thing that's not in the book that I've never talked about before that really says this is the measure of the man. This is why I personally like the guy. 17, 18 years ago, so he's about 69 or 70, still working full-time as a lawyer. I'm, I'm with the OMA, and I'm on planes all the time. I'm traveling. So I'm out at the airport out at Pearson. I'm on an Air Canada plane, I assume, going to, I think it was Thunder Bay. I know I was flying up north. And I, I'm sitting actually about the third seat from the front, second seat from the front, um, and a, a, um, a, a young woman, I'd say in her mid-20s at the most, she was young, gets on in front of me. And we're just about to take off, you know, maybe five minutes, and a much older man gets on and sits beside her. And I happen to notice it's Bill Davis. Now, I can tell she doesn't know this guy from Adam. He brought his own lunch in a brown bag, which <laughs> was strange enough. But here's the part that I love. He opens it up, and he says, would you like half my sandwich? <laughs> now, just stop and think about this. To the woman? <laughs> The, the, yeah, to the woman. He, he offers half his sandwich to the woman because he doesn't want to be ignorant and eat his, eat his brown bag lunch when she's got nothing. And, and I just think, and she, you know, like she didn't know who he was. She had no idea who he was. But I'm sitting there thinking, one of the most powerful men in the country, if not the world, and here he's just offering a, half, his, half his lunch sandwich to a complete stranger. <laughs> and that really, that is the man. That, and, you know, a lot of people have been puffed up with how important they were. His most famous quote, which is actually the quote that prompted Steve to write this book, he said it to him 10 years ago when Steve was with CBC uh, interviewing him. This was actually when the cameras stopped rolling. And Steve said, well, it must be really exciting sitting around the boardroom table, all these big companies, you're now board of directors. He says, Steve, he says, the most exciting day in this world can't come close to the dullest day as premier. And that was the quote that launched Steve's um, uh, a desire to write this book, and he's, he's done a magnificent job with it. And the back of the book, by the way, is filled with all kinds of interesting archival stuff. Uh, you know, the the statement that Davis read to stop the um, uh, Spadine Expressway, in which he famously said, uh, "I believe that the Spadine Expressway is is great for cars, but you know, this is a city that's great for people, and that's why we're going to stop it," kind of thing, and uh, many many other things in there. So, and that's uh, why someone texted in here. Lost my respect, canceled the Spadina Express. Yeah, but not everybody was happy with it, obviously. But, no, but you, you no. can never, not everybody. Well, you can never find a situation where you please everyone at the same time. And that's the point about the bland. In fact, for someone who sort of pretended to be bland and said bland works, he actually did some very controversial and dramatic things along the way. So, and certainly, you know, a lot of people who weren't born then won't remember how contentious it was back in 81, trying to get a charter and, and the Constitution repatriated. And he was part of that kind of kitchen discussion that, that when, when René Levesque was out of the room, in case you're wondering why Quebec was left out <laughs> of the final, the final thing. So he, he was involved in a lot of incredibly controversial things. But uh, as I say, if you're enjoying sitting in the Sky Dome, now called the Rogers Centre, uh, he's the one that made the decision to build that in downtown Toronto and so on and so on and so on. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You, you, you want to, and, and without the risk of sounding uh, political here, you want to read a book about him or you want to read a book about Dalton McGuinty? Yeah. <laughs>
When we return following the traffic break moments from now, why do people lose their minds over sports? Good question. We'll see if we can get an answer to that right here at News Talk 1010. You're listening to Saturday with Ted on News Talk 1010. Thank you, Mr. Bill, and that beautiful Roland FP80. Man, you got it down, but you, you forgot one thing. It's supernatural. Supernatural. Supernatural, dude. But I think if you went into uh, along the Quay River and said, you got the supernatural, they'd say, you might want to have a seat, sir. We don't have anything like that. No, not quite yet, but it's coming in. You made it up. Yeah, made it up, but it's <clears throat> delightful to play every week, so, Teddy. It's delightful to listen to. Yeah. Okay, enough of that uh, padding of back. Because my shoulder hurts. <laughs> By the way, I um, got a text um, a few moments ago <clears throat> asking whether or not uh, you and I had seen Marathon of Hope. And Marathon of Hope is a uh, Terry Fox's life story done as a stage musical. Uh, it will be in Hamilton in November. You can go to hamiltonmarathon.ca for more information. That would be fascinating, oh, I excellent. would think. Yeah. Anyway, Stephen Skivington is here as he is each Saturday from 1 to 1.30. Founder, president, polytrain, syndicated columnist to boot. So the other day at the Jays game, somebody, and I'm not saying who because this hasn't been proved, somebody, some goof, tosses a can of beer from the stands aimed, I suppose, at hitting the uh, Texas outfielder. Misses, thank God, because could have done some serious damage. And you ask yourself this question, why do people go nuts at sporting events like that? And it's not the first time that this has happened. You may recall back at a Grey Cup game that the, the Argos were playing in Winnipeg years ago. Rocket Ishmael was screaming down the sidelines, he was fast, scored a touchdown for the Argos, and just uh, just before he crossed into the end zone, a beer can or bottle splashed behind him on the, on the ground. Same deal. Some idiot, hammered, no doubt, tosses a beer out in the field. And, it, and you win a Stanley Cup, as, as we witnessed in Vancouver years ago, People will celebrate by setting fire to cars and turning cars over. Is that what you're supposed to do when you're happy that your team won? What's the deal, Mr. Skivington? Yeah, now I'm, not, I'm no sports psychologist. I can certainly speak as a sports fan, and I've certainly done a little research on some of the psychology of it, almost like the mass hypnosis of, of uh, watching sports. But I think a lot of it goes back to is most of us played sports as kids even if it was just having, you know, a little road hockey game or some, you know, fun little pickup basketball game, even if it wasn't organized sports. I, I did play organized sports and got to a, uh, not quite a high level, but I was getting there before I finally came to my senses. I didn't want to be hit in the head by bucks anymore. Mm. It's done enough damage. And I, I think what happens is we appreciate how hard it is to play sports at this level. But, but I think there's also a, a something inside us invests something 
in a sports team, in our favorite team, you know, I like the Patriots and uh, um, uh, the Leafs, the, the Jays, you like the Packers and so on and so forth. And it becomes your team, you know, and, and you cheer for your team and you live and die with whether they win or lose. And I think what happens is that we get so invested with this because, you know, life can be good, bad, and different. Often bad things happen in your life or things aren't going the way you like, but if your team is winning, at least you feel that positive about that. So in the case of what's been going on with the Jays, let's let's just suggest the Jays, because you remember the Jays had the rain shower of beer bottles last year in the fifth game after that weird That's right. throw and hit the bat and the run scores. and, and yeah, These are cans of beer. You right? remember that one. Not right? bottles, cans. That's right. Sorry, and they, and they banned the, the selling cans in the upper deck. Um uh what what happens is in watching Toronto I'll just I'll just give Toronto as an example I, I watch about 130 games a year I guess which is probably a, a bad investment of 390 hours but that's another topic Toronto gets jobbed a lot by the umpires and you know they don't put Toronto they, ne- they never put Toronto on the Sunday night game because nobody will watch like the, Dan Schulman's actually said that before because of ratings. Well, he's always you'll, pushing them because he yeah, wants and, it's and ESPN. You'll notice, you'll notice this happened with the Raptors and this happened with the Jays. The most unattractive time as possible is when they put the game on. So if there's four games, the Jays will be the 12 o'clock game or the 4 o'clock game or the, the Raptors. I know their game was their playoff game was 12 o'clock. And, and even, uh, you know, the calls, you know, the, the review where – the review can a play can only be turned over overturned if it's uh, indisputable the evidence that yes he really did touch the base and the gun mm-hmm. blew it. Yep. They, they actually they actually reversed one for the first time and since they brought in the rule against the Jays. So I think what happens is in the case of the Jays fans, they get so worked up and they feel like there's you know it's it's us against the world and the Americans are out to screw us and make sure we don't get to the World Series for example that that. This, this behavior, <laughs> I mean, this is behavior like, well, I can't even say it's animalistic because animals wouldn't even behave this badly. But it, it's not what a rational person would do. But I, I think people have, have get themselves into a state that isn't rational. Like I have to get up I, with my heart trouble. I, I, I have frequently had to get up and leave the room for an hour because my heart <laughs> can't take what I'm, you know, my wife is asking if they can hear me when I'm yelling at the TV, if the umpires can hear me on the other side of the TV. Uh, you know, I mean, that that's the level it gets to. I'm going to drop dead one of these days if I'm not careful. And, and I think that's probably what happened. There was just frustration. That, that was kind of a frustrating game. Well, somebody pointed out here, and, and I apologize, uh, Vancouver Canucks lost when the riot happened. You're right. I apologize for that. The point still being that it's 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 a sport. But I, but I think the Montreal Canadiens won, and then they won, rioted. Won and had the riot in 86 or 9 or 93, yeah. So, so and right. thanks yeah, for so the correction, that, by the way. I appreciate that. Just that happened too, yeah. So, so I, I think, I think that we just invest so much of ourselves in these teams, maybe to make up for what's lacking in our lives. I don't know, that that we we just you know behave in a way that would be stunning to someone who's not a sports fan. And again, that's not to justify it. You know, throwing anything on 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 a field like that, throwing any kind of missile. Uh, Johnny Bauer had my favorite had my favorite line of all time though when he was playing I think it was in New York, and the uh, for the Leafs and they throw pennies pennies at him, and so he'd gather them up and put them inside the goalposts there so that at the intermission he could take them because he was kind of notoriously cheap and he would gather the pennies up as part of his payday that they would throw at him. But uh, uh, <laughs> well, if <laughs> if, if you worked for the owners that he worked for, you could understand why That's he did right. that. 
All right. Very quickly, uh, before we go here, just just a couple of things. Um, <clears throat> and number one, predictions. Yes. Um, the Jays didn't choke, by the way. The, as you can see, they're leading no. two nothing. They in, are. In this they series. are the best team in baseball on paper, and okay. they were having a problem in the clubhouse that they seem to have fixed. Okay. Uh, Batista didn't run out a thing to first, uh, an out to first, and Martin looked like he was about to slug him on the bench. They're showing this on camera, and nobody's saying a word about it. But I think there, I think there was a problem in the clubhouse, possibly with Batista. He now has made up his mind. I'm just going to play. This is the end. These guys are reminding me of the '67 Leafs. This is the oldest team in baseball. They will not be together next year. A bunch of them will be gone. I think they got a shot at winning the World Series. I expect they'll win with Sanchez tomorrow and sweep them. And how funny it is that wow, they wow, play. is this the same guy I talked to a month no, ago? No, but how funny it is that they would the Cleveland Mafia will play Cleveland. I think Cleveland's going to take Boston. So Cleveland versus the Cleveland Mafia to see who goes to the World Series. Now that is who could have predicted that? That would be great. Training. That's and by the way, uh, Trump, he's not winning. <laughs> oh, Trump is going to win the election. But the Electoral College will will elect Clinton. There's my prediction. I bet you that happens. Yeah, okay. Well, another prediction. We'll put that aside. Right. Have a great weekend. And thanks. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, by Thank the way. You. Thank you very much. All happy the best. Stephen Skivington from Polytrain. Back next week. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, it's Thanksgiving weekend. Lots of turkey. How long do you keep that around for? Like, how good is turkey? Like, two, three days later for sandwiches, et cetera? When do you cross that line where maybe you shouldn't touch this because maybe it's not good? Food poisoning tests are the highest around this time of the year. We'll be joined by a doctor who says many Ontarians who don't know when to leave that turkey alone. We'll find out. 128 News Talk 1010. It's Saturday with Ted on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the program on this Thanksgiving weekend. Lots of you getting ready to consume turkey for this weekend. Hope you enjoy that. Keep in mind, it shouldn't be kept in your fridge for a long period of time. You may think, well, what's this? I, got a, I got a week, two weeks worth of turkey sandwiches. Is that a good idea? I don't think so. But what do I know? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. That's why we have done what we should do. We're, we're going to be speaking to a Dr. Anu Rebep Ragada, Scientific Director for Microbiology and Molecular Diagnostics at Dynacare. At this time of the year, food poisoning tests are the highest around Thanksgiving, most of which has to do with your turkey. Did you cook it long enough? Have you kept it around for too long? Have you left it out in the open? All these different questions. Everybody has different uh, philosophies on this. Well, once it's cooked, you can just leave it out there and cover it up. Some people don't even cover it up. What about the flies, fruit flies, all those other things flying around? So we're just waiting for the doctor to show up. I hope the doctor's okay. Yeah? And we have a doctor. Can you get a doctor, please? We have doctor. 
Hello. Hi, how are you, doctor? I'm doing very well. How are you? Very well. So are you going to have uh, turkey this weekend? I plan on having turkey and stuffing and gravy and all the fixings. Let's talk about all the problems and concerns around Thanksgiving turkey. Uh, let's start with stuffing. You should, stuffing, you... yes. Well, if it comes to safety, the best thing to do is not to stuff the turkey uh, and cook the stuffing separately. And then uh, after the turkey is completely cooked and you're sure that, you know, it's reached a, a temperature of 165 Fahrenheit, you know it's totally cooked, then put the stuffing back in so it looks very presentable on the dining table. Okay. So cook the stuffing separate from the turkey. Yes, the problem is when uh, stuffing is placed inside a frozen turkey or it's or a thawed turkey, there's the risk that the stuffing itself won't get cooked completely. So mm -hmm. some of the juices containing bacteria from the turkey can enter the stuffing and have a warm, cozy place to hang out and multiply and uh, still cause problems. What about the uh, the actual care of the turkey? And what I what I mean by that is, you pull it out of your fridge. Does it need to be prepared in a quick manner, or can it sit on the counter for any period of time before you get at it? So, so good question. So, there's critical point. So, the big step is thawing the turkey, right? We usually buy our turkey frozen. I and don't. The best thing, oh, you don't do that. You no. got your turkey fresh. Yeah. Well, some of us. In fact, he, he walks right over it. to my house. <laughs> Lucky you. Um, well, for those of us who buy it frozen, the, ideally it's best to thaw it in the fridge, and this takes overnight, uh, several hours, depending on how big the bird is. Uh, you can also thaw it in, in your sink in cold water, just submerge the, the fully wrapped turkey in a pot of cold water and just have the cold water going over it, um, and that, that takes a few hours as well. If you buy your turkey fresh like you do, um, ideally you want to cook it within one to do two days of buying it. And after you purchase it, keep it in the fridge before you uh, do anything with it. You can't keep it at room temperature for any period of time before you cook it because, once again, there's bacteria uh, potentially contaminating the turkey, and they can multiply to high numbers very quickly. It takes just 20 minutes for bacteria to multiply. So 10 bacteria become 20 and so on and so forth very quickly. How do you know if, you're, if your food is, is cooked thoroughly if you don't have a thermo thermometer or if you don't have an oven, that'll tell you so. Mm -hmm. Good question. Well, I, the best test is to cut a little piece uh, into uh, in, into the bird, and cooked meat is is white. It's not translucent. It's not pink. Um, so that's one way of knowing that uh, it's it's cooked. But still, you know, you want to make sure that the bird is cooked all the way up to 165 degree Fahrenheit. So even though it might appear white and it looks like it's cooked, uh, if it's not cooked fully, then those bacteria and it, the, the more dangerous thing are spores that can survive high temperatures. If they're still in there, mm -hmm. um, once you ingest the meat, those spores can enter into your into your gut, into the in intestines, and bacteria can start multiplying and cause havoc. Okay, so we now understand we've uh, we've got the, the turkey properly thawed, <laughs> or if it's fresh, you're doing it in, in a fairly uh, quick period of time after you receive the turkey. That's right. Uh, you're cooking the stuffing separate. Once you've got right. it cooked to the proper temperature, the stuffing goes back in, and you can heat the stuffing inside the turkey. The, the stuffing's already been cooked 
to begin That's with, right. I take it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then right. once you finish the bird, because what happens, at least at our place, is you'll have lunch, and then everybody will sort of take a nap, and oh, then you'll yes. come back to the bird about four or five hours later, later for dinner. Do you need to put it in the fridge, or can it just sit on the counter covered up? Yeah, you know, the turkey induces uh, nap time for sure, but the thing we have to remember is uh, anything cooked is only good for up to two hours at room temperature. So once again, you know, food that is anywhere between 4 degrees to 60 degrees Celsius, which translates to, um, you know, 40 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, to 140 Fahrenheit. So th- these are kind of warm, lukewarm temperatures when food is just sitting around. Mm. This is the perfect environment for bacteria to grow. It's considered the danger zone for humans. It, it, all the, the food uh, illnesses blogs will say these temperatures are dangerous, but bacteria love this temperature, and this is when they multiply very rapidly. So if you're unable to eat all that turkey and fixings and everything, that's on the the wonderful dining table put it in the fridge Uh, if you can't get to it within two hours put it in the fridge Uh um, and then reheat uh, before you consume again well do you have to reheat it or can you not just eat it cold into a sand turn it into a sandwich so yeah so the the thing about turkey is if you're sure you've cooked it completely so you've done your proper cooking uh, you can cut up the turkey into smaller pieces make sure it's cooled properly um, and then once it's cooled properly yeah you can eat the turkey meat cold in those delicious sandwiches mm-hmm. uh, but don't uh, keep making sandwiches for over four days um, the shelf life or the fridge life is three to four days after the bird is cooked and mm-hmm. stored in the fridge so if, if you're going to eat it on a Sunday you, you're good for Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday maybe not yeah, you're pushing it. Yeah, you, you, maybe Wednesday is uh, is a good day, and then you got to think about tossing it if you haven't finished it by then. What if you what if you uh, if you finish eating on Sunday and you thought, well, I'm just going to put the rest in the freezer? How long can it stay in the freezer before you bring it out and reheat so it? Yeah, well, you so can't reheat freeze- it though. Uh, oh, you can reheat it. For can sure, you? you can. Yes, you can absolutely reheat it and bring it back to the right temperature. Uh, in in the freezer, theoretically, it can last indefinitely, but the flavor tends to compromise after about three to four months, mm-hmm. uh, and it loses moisture, it, those ice crystals form, so the, it, it might taste funny if it's in the freezer for too long, but freezing it is definitely the way to go. Okay. To, well, what about, uh, some people will tell you, you know, I'll ask and say, well, is that any good? Well, hold on, let me smell it. I can tell if it's by smell. Can <laughs> yeah. you tell by smell if it's any good? I mean, obviously, you know, if, it's, if it's completely rancid, you can. Yeah, you know, this is the danger. The smell test doesn't work. Uh, these bacteria are odorless. Uh, they can multiply to high numbers, but you can't smell the difference between a good meal and one that is infested with bacteria. So I wouldn't rely on the smell test. Um, You know, sometimes you see, you know, molds growing on your food, and that's easy to detect. Uh, Sometimes butter goes rancid, and you're right, you can taste that. It's it's definitely a distinct taste. Uh, But unfortunately, with things like Campylobacter or Salmonella or E. coli that's infecting food, you, you just cannot taste it or smell the difference. Right. Okay. Fascinating. One more thing very quick because we are out of time, doctor. Uh, if after, let's say, a couple of days, you know, you've, you've eaten one of these sandwiches or you've made yourself a plate of uh, turkey on the Tuesday, Wednesday, suddenly you, you're just not feeling right and your stomach isn't acting properly mm-hmm. and you're visiting the, the loo too often. Uh, at what point do you think this is serious enough to go see a doctor or even a clinic or, or God forbid, in, you, you go to a hospital? 
Yeah, so for the most part, you know, people who are healthy adults may have diarrhea uh, that can last for two to ten days, and it's self-limiting. That means it will clear itself because we have a healthy immune system and we're able to fight the bug. As unpleasant as diarrhea and stomach cramps may be, we're going to kick it. Unfortunately, people who are vulnerable, like the elderly or mm -hmm. young infants or pregnant women or right. people with a compromised immune system, you know, they, they can be severe effects. The, the diarrhea can be persistent. It can lead to dehydration. Worst-case scenario, infection like salmonella can enter the bloodstream and lead to really significant problems that require antibiotic treatment, hospitalization. So it's not something to mess around with. Great. Doctor, thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. There you go. That's Dr. Anu Repragada. She's scientific director for microbiology and molecular diagnostics at DynaCare. Speaking about food, bugs on the menu. It's a new documentary. It's a new superfood, they say. Coming up next, 143, News Talk 1010. There's a brand new way to listen to News Talk 1010, the iHeartRadio app for your mobile and tablet. It's available as a preview right now. Download it for free today and enjoy News Talk 1010 anytime, anywhere. You're listening to Ted Wallachian, News Talk 1010. I always wanted to be on someone's app. I always considered you the main course, Ted. Thank you very much. There you go. Uh, I haven't tried one. I know many people who have. Some people cringe at the, the concept, and some people say, it's great. Considered to be superfoods, bugs, my friends. Fascinating documentary coming up Tuesday night at, at 9 p.m. and repeated Sunday night at 9 p.m. on CBC's documentary channel entitled Bugs on the Menu. The writer, director, producer is Ian Tavis. He joins me now on the line. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm very good. How are you? Is this going to be a, a part of the Thanksgiving meal for a lot of people, do you think? <laughs> I suppose if there, uh, it could be at least a side dish, you know. When when did you first uh, encounter uh, bugs? And what what bug did you eat knowingly? I'm not talking about when you were a little kid. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that too. I, I think it might have been crickets or grasshoppers when I started making the film. I'm surprised I hadn't started earlier, but yeah, like after researching the film and then we started doing some exploratory filming, I, I think at that point I might have had chocolate-covered or something like that, chocolate-covered grasshoppers or candy, you know, crickets or something like that, because they sell them in a few candy stores as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so that might have been where I had it first. And then, of course, in the course of, uh, of making the film and traveling, I ended up eating all manner of different things. Why are they called superfoods? I mean, do they contain that, that much protein? And, I mean, how much protein, um, how many would you need? I mean, how many grasshoppers or crickets would you need to, to have ingested any kind of level of protein yeah. that, that makes a difference? Well, they say that uh, grasshoppers and crickets are between 40 and 60% protein by weight. So, um, you know, if you consider the human body needs about, eh, you know, 30 to 50, 30 to 60 grams of protein every day, 
Um, and we're now we're mixing metric and imperial here, but you know you can imagine a, a you know a half a pound of grasshoppers might satisfy that pretty quickly. Uh, but but in addition to the protein, which is is pretty strong, they've got uh, way more like a whole load of other vitamins. B12, uh, 20 times more than beef has, hmm. more calcium than milk has, uh, more iron than spinach has. Prebiotics, probiotics, all nine essential an- amino acids. But um, but how so much a, how much do you need to consume to to get to that level? That's what I'm wondering. Like one cricket? No. No, no, one cricket is just uh, is a trace amount. I mean, yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I think a pound of crickets would probably, uh, no, that's 16 ounces, right? So probably eight ounces of that would be protein, which would be more you need. Probably half a pound of crickets would do it, really. Because um, you only need, you know, the body only needs 40 or 50 grams of uh, protein to get what it needs. And that includes all these other, that's the serving size, I believe. So, um yeah, so it wouldn't take that much. The crickets also can be grounded to powder, right? So the powder gets added to dishes. Like my wife will add ground up cricket powder to a banana bread or cookies or something, right? You Is it easily accessible things, right? now? Like, can I go uh, get cricket so. powder if if I wanted to go out after work today and pick up cricket powder on my way home? Would it be a difficult thing to do? Uh, depending, some of the health food stores are starting to carry it now. For sure, the the protein bars that are made with cricket powder, the the, the brands are uh, Chapul and Exo. Those are everywhere now. You'll mm-hmm. find them in any health food store, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, the powder and the ground up crickets, the ground up mealworms, the whole mealworms, whole crickets, a little more scattered to find them, but you can find them. And we sell them on our website, bugsinthemenu.com, and some of the other guys in our film do the same thing. Because- uh, so people are mail ordering, ordering them. The consumption of, of bugs, of insects, is something relatively new uh, here in, in North America, but certainly not uh, ar- around the world. During the course of the filming this, you and your partner Mark traveled across four continents over a two-year period. There must be places in, in the world that have been consuming this for such a long period of time that they would look at you and say, what's the big deal? <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, there's a one place in Cambodia we vis- visited called the Schoon Market, and we showed up with a camera, uh, you know, and Cambodia is a, you know, they don't see a whole lot of Westerners and tourists and news crews. So we pulled up, we filmed different stuff around the cities of uh, Phnom Penh and, and uh, uh, let's see, other capital, but it escapes me. But anyway, everywhere we went, people were a little bit surprised to see us with our big cameras and stuff. When we went to this tiny little market in the middle of the of the, of the countryside, nobody was surprised because every... <laughs> every news crew that travels into Cambodia ends up showing up there because it's a massive insect market. So, mm-hmm. so they're just they're just used to the attention. So, uh, well, it'd be, I guess it would be part. akin to us uh, um, thinking, why is someone coming here filming a documentary on pizza parlors? <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the big deal? Yeah, it's pretty standard stuff there for the most part. Yeah, okay. and uh, but it, surprisingly, like you find a lot of insects in markets, but in the restaurants in uh, Cambodia, we didn't find that many. So people tend to take them home. Similarly in Mexico, people tend to buy them in, in markets and they'll mm-hmm. take them home and cook them. But when it gets down to brass tacks, you look at restaurants, there's not as much on the menus as you'd expect. Can see. you bring this across the border? Yeah, yeah. You can bring Do they have to be vacuum sealed? Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. I mean, everything has been inoculated. It's been heat dried or, or sun dried or, or dehydrated, right? So there's really nothing... Uh, toxic that would remain and insects don't carry zootropic diseases as well unlike meats so mm-hmm. they're pretty safe uh pretty safe food as far as human consumption goes i guess one, one of the b- benefits of, of of consuming bugs is that many of them are drought resistant yeah i mean the water consumption of insects uh on a massive agricultural scale is pretty incredible compared to a lot of our conventional 
meats like chicken and uh, pigs and cattle. I mean, they out, the amount of water that it takes to grow a pound of crickets outnumbers uh, the, the equivalent in cattle by about a factor of 2,000. So it's a pretty significant change in the amount of water you need to grow. So if you think of it just on that level, it's a pretty efficient agricultural system. Well, it's interesting. We, I'm sorry, go ahead. Please go ahead. I was going to say that's what we found attracted a lot of the entrepreneurs and investment, like all these uh, cricket farms and so on that we visited in North America. The reason they're growing is because a lot of the people with the money are starting to realize, hey, this is a really straightforward bit of math. Like it's it's really efficient at very low input costs, very quick turnaround. Like you can grow in, you can go crickets, for instance, from from a hatchling to a, you know a harvestable uh, insect in seven weeks. Hmm. using very little water, very little electricity, very little feed input. Well, one of the things that always um, fascinated me over, over the years, Ian, is, is when I'd watch documentaries and you'd see uh, animals who exist, like bears, for example, can exist on berries and, and, and twigs. And you think, look at this animal. He weighs four times as much as I do, and I need like a, a, a couple of steaks a week and and this this animal is getting getting away with eating berries and 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 twigs. And I guess the same is true for many animals that subside on a, on a diet that's yep. predominantly bugs. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So it's you it's not the really... it's not the weight of what you put into it. It's 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 the the protein. It's the quality of what you put into yourself, right? Sure, it is. Yeah, and if you can eat if you can eat those in fistfuls, or I mean, bears eat moths as well, right? But if you can eat fistfuls and fistfuls, suddenly you've got it, you've accumulated a decent amount of uh, of that of that food. Um, but yeah, it's it's full of uh, it's full of goodies. Right? It's a very nutritious food, and and really, so many of the the critters in the world live on insects, right? So many birds and I mean, large mammals like bears, like we mentioned, so many things live on insects. It's not unusual um, to to imagine that we can do it. And interestingly, we found in the research of this film, and we uh, a fellow says it inside the film. We have a we have a digestive enzyme inside of our guts uh, called chitinase, and it's an enzyme specifically there for the digestion of chitin. And chitin is found in the exoskeleton of insects. So I mean, mm. we're wired for it. <laughs> During the course of this, you you you, you and your partner um, have you become well? Let me see. Uh, uh, not addicted wouldn't be the right word, but have you become so uh, passionate? about these foods that it's become part of your life to tell people, look, do it, switch over, yeah. start doing this. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, in our film, we, we, we definitely say we're on side with it. It's not, it's not one of those films where you're like, well, there's this side of the story and that side of the story. It's more like, you know what, we think this is a great idea. Here's why, and here's, who the, here's the people who are doing it. That's not to say that it excludes anything else. Like, I still eat meat. So does Mark. So does anyone else in our film. Like, it's it's not an all-or-nothing proposition. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's just this is another excellent source of protein and other vitamins and nutrition that's easily grown in any kind of agricultural system. I mean, heck, they grow these things in Rubbermaids, right? Um, which is, uh, you know, it, it makes it available to everyone. So yeah. if we're looking at other solutions, economic solutions or otherwise, it's a really good option. Cool stuff. Bugs on the Menu premieres across Canada on CBC's documentary channel this Tuesday at 9 p.m., repeated Sunday the 16th of October at 9 p.m. Ian Taves, thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, indeed, Ted. Thanks for, talk. Thanks for talking to me. All the best to you. Comedian Michael Gilbert is going to be uh, performing here in uh, the city, and you're going to meet him shortly. Look forward to that. That's after the news right here on News Talk 1010.
It's Saturday with Ted on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, Bill King, and the beautiful music from that free keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up, Teddy. Well, you didn't pay for it. Yeah, well, that was symphony for your guests. Let's be honest here. My guest uh, will be performing next weekend here in Toronto at the Randolph Annex Theatre, recording a... uh, well, let's call it a, a a documentary, but it really is. It's not. It's it's a comedy. It's a comedy special extravaganza. <laughs> yeah, it's a half hour. No, it's a one hour. All stand-up. new greatest hits. All new greatest hits. This is Michael Galbart. Michael Galbart. That's me. Hi, everyone. I eighty uh, percent of it's going to be brand new material. Twenty percent will be stuff I had done on television, but mm. not in a long form broadcast. Right. I had two half hour specials before. Nothing on those will be repeated. But if I did it on a five-minute talk show appearance, it'll be part of the one hour. But that's okay. That's one of the drags, though, about being a, a comedian. If you're, if you're a musician, you write a hit song everywhere you go for the rest of your life. It, we talked to Dan Hill about that when he was here. He can't go perform anywhere without having to play Sometimes When We Touch. And, and it works no matter what musician you are. you got a hit record, you got to play it. Yeah. You gotta, you're a comedian. You've written a great bit. You can't keep doing that same bit every year. People go, we know the punchlines. We know the bit. I think people will will be happy you're doing that bit about three times. After three, they yeah. never want to hear that joke again. The first is the element of surprise. They love the thing that you said. They thought it was funny. They might want to hear it again next time you're in town. And maybe <clears> they'll <throat> give you a third time, possibly if they really like you. But <laughs> by by then, it's over. You can't. No one wants to hear the same joke four times. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like having uh, it's like when you when you're in school or when you're a young man and you're dating and you're having problems hanging on to a woman. She'll give you three dates and then that's it. I'd like to believe that women give you three dates these days. Um, people seem to make up their mind on date one, <laughs> <laughs> or on on the way to the restaurant. This isn't going to work out. Yeah, or they they usually meet on social media now or any kind of app for dating. So then they find out when they actually physically meet the person if they're going to bother to go on any more dates. Tell me about yourself. Where are you from originally? Here? I was born in Montreal, raised in Toronto, started doing stand-up. When you say raised, so how old were you when you got here? About 14. And where did you go to school? I went to Thornlee Secondary School in Thornhill, Ontario. Mm -hmm. And uh, started doing stand-up at 17. Where, at Yuck Yucks? At Yuck Yucks. I did amateur nights, and I was already a paid professional comedian while still in high school and college, which was Seneca College, broadcast journalism. That's where I went. RTV program. Well, they didn't have that then. They had applied communications. That's where I went. Oh, okay. Yeah, I went there in the early 90s, right out of high school. No. Yeah. And uh, graduated and started getting interviewed on the Weather Network and stuff like that to be an on-air weatherman. Mm -hmm. But then the CBC, at the age of 23, offered me my 
half-hour primetime stand-up special, and things grew from that. And who was that? George Anthony who gave you that? It, I, I don't know if it was him directly. It was a guy named jo, Joe Bodelai who had the yes, hiring I rights. Joe. The, yeah, the so, late Joe Bodelai. Yeah, the great, late, great Joe Bodelai. Uh, he gave me my first stand-up special, which led to writing the Gemini Awards for three years, eventually sure. making it to head writer. And then I got a CTV special as well. And then as the credits started to accumulate, the writing and the performing, I applied for my green card. So now I can work in both countries. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Belgium and Canada. <laughs> Where else you want to go? Exactly. Uh, you, you. I guess you were originally going to record this in the states, but then decided to do it here. Yeah, I was going to. Why, why did you change your mind? Because of the C- CRTC ruling that uh, you could make Canadian content with less Canadians. I didn't. I wasn't a what? big fan of that. But yeah, did you read about that? Or no, I don't it? understand what that means either. The CRTC, uh, you know what that oh, is. Oh yeah, well of course. Yeah, they decided that what constitutes Canadian content doesn't need as many Canadians working on the project anymore. They they loosened the rules on that so you could employ more mm. Americans on a Canadian production. Right. Which means Canadians would have less work. So I decided, all things being equal, uh, that uh, I would shoot it in Canada instead and only employ Canadians. Whole Canadian audience, a Canadian charity is attached to it, and... Yeah, that way I could employ a, an entire Canadian crew. That's really nice of you. God bless you. Yeah, and plus the Canadian dollar, there are certain incentives there too. But <laughs> it's mostly about employing people in yeah. Canada. And, and and if somebody had never seen you perform, I, I've never seen you live. I saw your, your some video of you, very funny. How would you describe what it is you do? These days, there's a lot of... Like reli- you're a pretty clean guy. I like to keep my act clean. I still consider it an act for adults. Right. But there's a difference between being dirty and being for adults. Uh, I don't swear in my act because I find it's just too easy. I see people doing it all the time. Some people have turned it into an art. They're great at swearing in their act. Chris Rock. Yeah, Chris Rock. And there's a lot of examples. There's like maybe 10 great examples of people who swear artfully. But for every one of them, there's a hundred other guys who only have the swearing, who haven't got the content. And so I decided it was harder to make points comedically and still kill and still get the laughs you need by being 100% clean or at least not swearing. Your, Your humor, much of it is your personal observation. Yes, all of it is my personal observation. So it's not it's not a set a punchline. Here it comes, telegram. Here comes the joke. You you don't see that, and, and in many cases you get taken aback by what the punchline is. And I hate using that word punchline because it sounds like it's it's just a joke, but it's it's really it's scripted comedy is what yes. it is. If if your act is really conversational and you do it yeah. in a manner that sounds like people are talking, you're not going to go, okay, here comes the thing. Exactly. Because in conversation, we just end up laughing out of nowhere because it sounds real. Yeah. So I try and make my act sound real. Have you ever seen guys perform, uh, either comedians or, or, or not non-comedians, who when they tell a story that they think is so funny that they start laughing halfway through the story and at the end of the story, by the time they finish telling it, they're laughing louder than anyone else around them, and you think, "Oh my God, that's so embarrassing." I there are I'm of uh, two uh, thoughts on this. One, they're either uh, kind of laughing to kind of goad the audience into laughing more, <laughs> so they might be kind of fake laughing to kind of encourage laughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or 
They legitimately find their own story so funny they can't help themselves. Or they're that happy. They are in such a state of euphoria by being on stage that they can't help but laugh. Or they're losers. Or they're losers. There could, they could be. Because if you already know your own story <laughs> and have told it countless times, I refuse to believe you're still dying of laughter about it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a, yeah, there's fraudulence to that. There is. Yes. There is. Do you do, you do much? Um, fraudulence? Well, no, no. Do you do, do you, well, no, I just sparked me into thinking about politics. Do you, do you talk a lot about, like, are you dealing with the, this whole U.S. election? I haven't touched the U.S. election at all. It is hilarious in a very sad and disturbing kind yeah, of a okay, way. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't done any comedy on it because I think there's a real shelf life on it. You know, I'm recording the new TV special. You want your stuff to be timeless mm-hmm. so that people could watch it in 10 years. My first television special, when I was just, you know, practically a kid, I was talking about movies that were out four years earlier. And then when it started to air, that's another year later. And when it starts to rerun, now you're talking about movies that were kind of hits, not even that big, mm. 15 years ago. Yeah. So that's when I realized I got to talk about things that are important to me, uh, relatable to people, but not... Uh, yeah. It's like time to drop the Richard Nixon impression. Oh, yeah. I, I stopped doing Nixon like <laughs> three weeks ago. <laughs> And I'm, I've, I've never been prouder of that. <laughs> you, wait, but you know, it's interesting. You get, you get a story like the OJ thing. I mean, and it's, uh, there's nothing funny about, about what happened no. with, that whole, with that whole tragedy. But then people talked about it and they joked about it and their observations about it went on and on and on and on and on. And then it stopped for years. And now suddenly this document or this, this uh, series came back. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, I saw every episode. Yeah, it was ex- extremely well done. I saw both the documentary and so the, the weekly series with the actors. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so now, again, now it's news again. But it's, it's news for a generation that it was never news for to begin with. Yeah, exactly. And it's also, it's nostalgia for some people. Who, yeah. It, yeah, who are just old enough to remember when this happened. Yeah. And it's also brand new for a lot of people You as don't well. have kids. Are you married? I, I want to still have kids. I haven't gotten married. I've had some serious relationships. Almost married one of the gals I lived with. But, uh, yeah, I'm not married, no. Why didn't you follow through? It was green card time. We were living together, very young, early 20s. I applied for the green card, had to make some decisions, whether or not this is a relationship where we would uproot both of our lives and move. Yeah. And ultimately, we decided against that. So you were here then? I was here at the time of the, the most serious relationship. And if you had gotten that green, when you got the green card, could she, could she go with you or did, would she have to get her There own would be card? a lot of legal wranglings, but right. if we had really thought that this was the relationship where we're staying together forever, right. then maybe we would have done that. But there were two families to think about who yeah. she was here and have you yeah. seen her since then she uh last i heard she uh moved to israel and now has five kids yeah so <laughs> yeah. i don't hear from her are you serious yeah well she she emailed for a little while but then the husband came along and the kids came along and our lives went in completely different directions right yeah, and there's not a day that I don't weep. No, imagine that. <laughs> Michael Gilbert is uh, our guest in studio next Saturday at the uh, Randolph Annex Theater. He will be uh, performing, recording uh, at 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. When we come back, we'll give you more information about that. Stick around, it is.
It's Saturday with Ted on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, welcome back to the program, comedian, Canadian, no, 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 but I wanted to say this specifically, Canadian comedian Michael Gelbart is here. The reason is somebody texted in, thank you, sir, for being a great Canadian, because you're doing this television special that you're recording, or the special that you're recording, Saturday, two shows, 8 and 10 p.m. at the Randolph, uh, Randolph Annex Theatre, and you're doing it with an all-entire cast of all-Canadian cast. Yeah, all-Canadian crew. That's why yeah. I wanted to pour to point out Canadian. I unique. appreciate that, yeah. Hey, oh, by the way, if people want to know how to get tickets, it's www.michaelgelbart.com for, uh, forward slash, I guess, tickets. Yes. Yeah. But doesn't everybody know that it's www? Okay. I, yeah, I know. I regretted it once I started at the first W, <laughs> but I had already W committed on it, yeah, so I wasn't uh, going to drop it's the it's other like, two W's. Um, you do, I do some, some commercial work for some people, and they say, well, m- make sure you put my phone number in. I said, uh, honestly, um, you got a website? Yeah. Just give the website. Yeah, that's all people are going to now. Well, especially now because, you know, you got like, it used to be seven numbers. Now it's 10 numbers. People driving around in a car, and the vast majority of our listeners are, are in car. Exactly. They're going to write down, and now there's like 289, there's 647, there's 905, there's 416. Yes. So. You have to repeat the number a lot of times for a driver to that's right. memorize it. That's just not going to happen. That's right. Just trying to make it easier for people. Just, As you should. I appreciate that. That's why I'm here, really. You sit down and you and you watch various comedians. Who do you enjoy? My two and you, favorite. And you've, and you've toured with a lot of them. Yeah, my two favorite comedians, one I've never toured with, Jerry Seinfeld. My second favorite comedian, who I did tour with for two years as his feature act, Norm MacDonald. Who's beginning, who's getting such great press as of late and seemingly disappeared for a long period of time. To me, he's always been around, but he has a book out now, and when you have a new project out, that's when you start making the rounds again. So mm-hmm. he's, he's out there publicly again. He's kind of one of the, um, he's a unique comedian in that you don't know where he's going and what he's about to say. There's, there's, that's, you, you, you need a map to follow where he's going? Because it's not a typical, here we go, set up, punchline, boom, we're there, right? No, it's absolutely not that at all. It's, a, it's amazing. He takes you on these really long journeys now. <laughs> the key to this is not to be afraid of not getting a laugh. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't seem to fear building to some big punchline or anything like that. He just, he talks and the humor comes from that. That's what I find. Tell me about... Uh... This novel that you wrote, The Other Oprahs. The Other Oprahs was a novel that came out in 2011. It's about four women named Oprah who are unfortunately not Oprah Winfrey and the struggles that they have (laughs) having the same name as the most famous woman in the world. And they're all fictional, by the way. They don't exist. I I created them. Right. Yeah. I've not read it. Apparently, it's hilarious. It's It's a really good book. I enjoyed writing it, and people seem to like it. It's uh, considered a bestseller in Canada, which is only like two or 3,000 copies is all it takes to be right. a bestseller in Canada. But it sold really well. I've turned it into a one-hour dramedy pilot script uh-huh. that I'm shopping around now. And, yeah, it, it's a good book, I think. I like to think so. Have you ever met anybody named Oprah? 
I've never met anyone named Oprah. I'm quite sure that maybe in 20 years we will meet yes. people named Oprah yes. because younger people are naming their kids Oprah more, more than likely, right? And what are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on some of these people like um, naming their kids like after seasons, fall and autumn and spring and, oh. you know, let's the, see here. The Great I, it Lakes. really depends. It depends on the on the season, right? Well, it just summer is a nice name for a girl. Yes. Spring is a terrible name for anybody. Winter. Winter is a good last name. Like if it, you, <laughs> Jonathan. You, yeah. Or if you're, uh, you know, if your last name's Winter and you had a daughter and named her Summer Winter, that's kind of ridiculous. I don't think I'd like that at well, all. Well, what about Kanye West? What is her kid's name? Northwest. It is? Yes. I Am I right there, Mike? I'm pretty sure you're right. Isn't Kanye West um, and, and Kim Kardashian, isn't their kid named North? One of them's named North, and I forget what the other one's One named. of them's named North. I think these so the celebrities... West. I think because of fame and fortune, the celebrity might think that their kid will be immune to a lot of the problems that regular people have because they will have such a uh, lavish life that it will compensate for... What would, like if you're very poor and unknown, it would be harder to have a ridiculous name. But I, the the parents might think they're protected or immune from the harsh realities of life. Yeah, which they won't be. You know, and you think uh, there have been some names, it, and you feel sorry for people who who name their kids something that means that's sort of in, innocuous, and yet like twenty years later, for whatever reason. It's not a good name to have. And I'll give you an example, not of a human name, but of a product. Years ago, it was a diuretic chocolate, and it was called AIDS, A-Y-D-S. That was the name of the product. Yeah. Well, suddenly, the other AIDS showed up. Yeah, exactly. Who's buying that product? Yeah, it's over for the AIDS chocolate product. It's, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah exactly. it, that ends that completely. And there, there are, unfortunately, some names... That's... Well, it's like if when, you know, when your your parents, they named you Richard, but when you grew up in this years and years ago, and they called you Dick. Yeah, exactly. It's terrible. And if you're, let's say you, you had a kid now, and you named him just an innocuous name, and then 15 years later, at a formative point in his life where kids are subject to ridicule, a sitcom or movie character has the same name, and that character's a loser in the movie, <laughs> you know? And the, it, it could be, it could come from anywhere, but... Yeah, you just never know what these names. Yeah, well, imagine if you if you named your kid twenty years ago Trump. First name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be an interesting <laughs> choice at any time. Well, it would be. Yes, not very wise, but interesting. No. Uh, tickets are available. Have you performed at this theater, by the way? I've before? never performed at this theater. Oh, by the way, fifteen percent of the proceeds go to Coast to Coast Cancer Research, which is a children's cancer. Oh, good research. for you. Yeah. And can I say where... You can we, they, say whatever you I want. I want to say where they can get the tickets again because I want to do it right this time. All right. MichaelGelbart.com forward slash tickets. Not www. You don't need W's ever again in your life. No, you don't. But the rest of it, you need. If you just punch in MichaelGelbart.com forward slash tickets in, in your Googleage, yeah. you're there. I'll, I'll respell Gelbart. I wish I had changed my name to something easy, but it's G-E-L like gel and then Bart like Bart Simpson. See, if I changed it to Michael Gell or something, I wouldn't have to do that. But, but that's like the, you, people used to do that years ago when they had ethnic names and nobody wanted to know that they were ethnic. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but mine's just hard to spell, I think. Gelbart is hard to spell? I've had people think there's there's an I when there isn't, there's E's where there shouldn't be, like, you know, that kind of thing. But now everyone that listens to this radio station yeah. knows the truth. Well, those people who can't spell Gelbart, it's www.michaelgelbart. Exactly. And when when you get to the dot .com, it's a little dot. You don't spell the word <laughs> D-O-T. It's a, just make a dot. Yes, uh, a real pleasure meeting you. You as well. Thank you Enjoy. very much. Enjoy. Um, great show next Saturday. Two shows for you to go uh, at the Randolph Annex Theater on Bathurst Street. It is 228 at Newstock 1010. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to uh, kind of an, uh, an, an, a neat swing groove to it, Mr. Bill, don't you think? Yeah, who would have thought of that? With That's call me maybe. <laughs> postmodern jukebox and a, and a song. Uh, thrift Shop, originally recorded by Macklemore and... Uh, well, that's Call Me Maybe. Call Me Maybe. Carly Ray. That's what, what you're listening to there was... Uh, what are you uh, talking about? What is what is this here? The remake of the Top 40 Pop Hit Thrift Shop. It's probably one of the tunes that they re- remake because they... You switched the, the song. Oh, you switched the song. You switched the song Well, on why you. did you do that without telling me? I asked Tony about that. Oh, that was very nice of you. Okay. Are we still on the same frequency or hold on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it is uh, uh, the music of, isn't it? <sighs> Postmodern Jukebox, who will be uh, performing, well, tonight they're at Place des Arts in Montreal, and then they're here on Tuesday night at the Sodi Center for Performing Arts, and then they head off the next night to the University of Buffalo Center for the Arts. We're trying to get a hold of uh, one of the members of the group, and we're having a difficult time doing so, Scott Bradley. But we'll tell you that um, that was them, and this is where they are. Yeah. And thank you. (laughs) Where do you go from there? (laughs) Oh, my goodness gracious. (laughs) Threw you a curve there, didn't he? Well, I mean, a curve. Uh, Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's that's called a shot at the head. That's not not a curve. Curveball is when it's when it's still supposed to go over the plate. That right, was right. chin music he just threw at me yeah, there. Okay. Uh, are you wagering for for uh, tomorrow night? Wagering on uh, the Jays. They're gonna win. Oh God! You know I love the fact that Sanchez is pitching because their ace of their staff is pitching. It kind of looks good. And I can, can you imagine how fired up it's going to be in there tomorrow? It's going to be phenomenal. The city's just going to go off the map tomorrow night. I think that uh, what yeah. you're going to see is you're going to see them win, and you're going to see Cleveland beat Boston as well. Could be. I mean, last week, what, what I say, I thought Boston would clean up. And it's been just the opposite. So Boston has peaked. And that's what, what Mike was saying. And he said they peaked early. They did. Yeah. And that because may be the they case. lost five yeah. of their last six or seven games. Yeah. Uh, and while they were they're on their way down, the Jays are picking up steam. So we're, yeah. am I right, Mike? Undefeated in October. Undefeated in October, <laughs> right. yes. They're two for two. <laughs> Winning that, when it no. matters. That's all that matters. No, Winning when that. it matters. But it's true, though. I think, yeah. I think that, they, that they did peak too early, and, and those things do exist. And now you've got David Price, the guy that everybody freaked out about last year, saying, why can't we hold on to them? Come on, Rogers, throw as much money as you can at him. It got to a point where it was too much. I mean, you paid a million dollars a game, pretty much a million dollars a game to pitch yeah. during the season. That's and now he pitched yesterday... They cleaned his clock. He still has yet to win in postseason baseball. Yeah. 
Now that's got to that's got to ride in your head after a while. I mentioned it. Don't you think? I I think he probably thinks this is the game that's going to change it, and it hasn't changed yet. It's incredible. I find that he has never won in play. Oh, year after year after year, and that's always the thing you say about David Price. Like, oh, he's great in the regular season, and he just lives up to it. And obviously, yeah, now it has to be mental. Has to be mental. Yeah, that it's in his head that I can't play in the playoffs, but. But Too the, bad for Boston. But Mike, <laughs> Mike, think about those three home runs in one inning. For the Jays? Or oh, for yeah. Michael, no, for, for the Jays. Yeah, just, just for the Jays. I mean, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, that was incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah. I pers- I can't wait for tomorrow night. And yeah. uh, it's, it's going to be great whoever we face after that. Now, where will you be watching this tomorrow, Bill? Will you be just uh, I've got the TV. Home? I got the screen right there, and I've got the recliner too. Oh, yeah. Mike's going to his parents for turkey dinner, and he says he'll be looking with his dad over his mom at the sixty-inch screen as they're eating. Your parents have a sixty-inch screen? Yes, uh, something <laughs> like kitchen. that. Fifty-eight, maybe in the kitchen. It's not that it's in the kitchen. In the kitchen. <laughs> it's visible from the kitchen. From the kitchen. Right. It's right. a very well organized household. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, we will be. I'll uh, tell you something. If, yeah. if the if the Jays were to win tomorrow, and I believe, as I mentioned, that, that they will. Uh, it'll be a zoo and a half downtown, right yeah, around this yeah, area. Yeah, it'll be. Last year, around this time, uh, I was a guest on Barb DiGiulio's show on a Wednesday or a Thursday night, I believe, and the Jays had just won a game that night. It didn't. They didn't clinch that night, but they. It was quite an impressive uh, victory and a much needed victory. And I made my way over. I friend of mine was coming downtown, he gave me a lift down, and at about five blocks away from the station, I said, just let me off here, I'll walk, because forget it, you you, you can't forget Yeah, you forget can't get it. through that crowd. That's when the car is yeah. useless, I mean, it just, people just go nuts on the street, but good nuts, like the a controlled nuts. Mm-hmm. It's just everyone just has so much joy and elation coming out of it. Yeah. It's great, I love it. I but, can't wait, I've, uh, I've been watching them for years now, uh, I was a little kid when they won the World Series, mm. I've Barely have mem- I was a junior Jays member. That's all I remember. But uh, yeah, these last couple of years have been great. I hope they keep on doing it. Of course, Adele was performing this week four four times. Four shows she sold yes, out. That's, that's quite amazing. Amazing. My daughter went to see her on Friday night. What she think? I don't. I have not spoken right, to her yet about it. You know, it's good. But she's out there with her Blue Jays uniform. And at the best. And one of the Jays or the organization tweeted saying, um, "Greetings from across the street." That's pretty cool. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah, we love Adele too. I mean, so it's just, a, that's she, a throwback to the great singers. She was I mean? asked to perform yeah. at the Super Bowl to halftime. Yeah, and she turned him down. What's the wrong place for her? Well, exactly, because she said, "Look, she's still, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a singer," and she comes on. She's got when she does Skyfall from the Bond movie. She's mm-hmm. got like a huge orchestra there, but right. she's a singer. She communicates with the audience. She's not a performer. She's, she's not, not a spectacle. No, exactly. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. no, nothing wrong with with the uh, forty dancers and and pyrotechnics and everything. Yeah. That's all pretty cool as well. But you need that for for it'd be like you wouldn't want to see James Taylor at halftime at at, at the Super Bowl. <laughs> not a but, but you'd like to see James Taylor that's perform right. in concert because he's right. got a lot of great songs and. And and he's actually really good on in concert, to be honest with you. But but yeah. he's not a spectacle. That's, and so she said, no, I'm not. So I guess Lady Gaga is going to do it. She is a spectacle. Yeah. Well, with a name like Lady Gaga. Always. You, you think? Yeah. I mentioned earlier that I had the opportunity earlier this morning to uh, pre-record an interview with a gentleman named Adam Irving, originally from Toronto, who is a documentary filmmaker 
who has a film, a documentary coming out called Off the Rails. It opened last night at the Hot Dogs in uh, Toronto here, Hot Dogs Ted Rogers Cinema. Off the Rails is a story of a young man who had been incarcerated some 30 different times for illegally riding, driving, not riding, buses and streetcars in New York City. When we come back, you'll hear that interview. It's a fascinating story right here on News Talk 1010, 241 now. You're listening to Saturday with Ted on News Talk 1010. Last evening here in Toronto at the Hot Talks, Ted Rogers Cinema on Bloor Street West premiered a documentary which I find to be most fascinating, and I believe you will as well, called Off the Rails. It is a story of one Darius McCollum, a man who suffers from Asperger's syndrome who has been imprisoned 23 times in New York City for the illegal driving of buses and subways. Now, he doesn't steal them. In, in the truest sense, he drives these buses and subways as a public service. Strange. It is very strange. Fascinating. Uh, Adam Irving is the director and also the uh, co-writer of this documentary. Thanks for uh, coming in. Thanks for having me. If this was a film, not a documentary, if somebody had presented this to Hollywood and said, okay, we're going to do a film about this guy, the, the, the studio heads would probably look at you and say, get out. This is not possible. Nobody's going to buy this. It's just too nuts. Why would a guy spend basically his entire life driving buses and subways for public service reasons? Because he has Asperger's syndrome. Yeah, it is hard to believe that someone would give up 20 years of their life in maximum security prison to do something that, you know, lots of people do in big cities uh, as a career that's fairly dull. They don't even enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it actually will be uh, a Hollywood movie. It's coming out next year. Good. Starring Julia Roberts. Um, I'm not you involved know, not with Darius, the film. Though. Yeah, no. She will be playing his wonderful lawyer, and uh, that film is going to be much bigger than my documentary. Describe for people who don't understand what Asperger's syndrome sure. is. It's a neurological disorder, so it's not actually mental illness. And uh, it's characterized by repetitive behavior and an interest in one particular subject and a lack of social skills. Mm -hmm. The most common fixation for people on the autism spectrum is trains because they're predictable. They run on a schedule. They have a body of knowledge that can be memorized. So for someone with Asperger's who thrives on numbers, charts, and graphs, uh, transportation is the perfect hobby. He, this began, this obsession for Darius began at quite a young age, eight, nine? Yeah, well, yeah, probably started when he was even younger, about three or four. Darius is a real mama's boy, and mm-hmm. he would go everywhere with his mother on the subway in New York because that's how most people get around New York. So he experienced growing up through the eyes of the subway train window holding his mother's hand, and by the time he was eight, he memorized all 468 New York City subway stations. <laughs> you, there's 90% of the employees for the, the, the subway system and the, the bus system, the New York City uh, uh, Metro, Metropolitan Transit Authority couldn't do that. That's correct. Yeah, he was sort of a, a little professor that they really admired um, for having such an interest in something that most people find, find fairly dull. So he was welcomed aboard um, almost as a mascot by some of the employees, some of the drivers. Explain that that relationship, how that began, how that grew. 
Well, like many people on the autism spectrum, Darius struggled in making friends his own age. Mm -hmm. So he would escape to the subway to avoid bullies, and that became his sanctuary. So for the adults who worked there, he was sort of like their their child, and he would sweep their locker rooms and clean their bathrooms and bring them food. And so he was kind of like their mascot, and he... He helped them out, so they helped him by showing him how to drive these vehicles. That's amazing. And when you think about it, it's not the easiest thing. Have you ever driven a bus, by the way? No. I tried to do it once. They had a media day here in in Toronto a number of years ago, and they had an obstacle course in a parking lot to do it. It's not the easiest thing to grasp grasp onto. It's not like driving a car. Right. I I didn't find it anyway. But for him to take and like that. Yeah, picked it up very easily. And but how did he get access to these things? <laughs> as a as a you know seven eight year old, he would sit on the laps of the drivers and say, "What does this button do? What does that button do? Can I can I park the bus once the passengers get off?" And a lot of these drivers, because they liked him so much, said, "Sure, sure, just don't tell anyone once the passengers leave." And we're deep into the depot. Why don't you turn it around? Why don't you park it? Why don't you turn off all the lights? So slowly he learned how to drive these fairly complicated vehicles. And the same thing went with the subways? Yeah, same thing. Um, Which one would be easier to learn? Subways are actually easier because they're on rails and yeah. can only go forward or back. So right. the actual operation is very simple. What's complicated is memorizing the whole manual, which deals with all the things that can go wrong. So if you're just running the route, you're fine. But if there's a signal malfunction or a sick passenger or a delay, that's where knowing the lingo and all the switches and the protocol comes in handy. So at what age did he, did he begin to do this on a regular basis? Did he say, okay, well, I'm going to walk into this bus, nobody's around, I'll take it and I'll do the route because I know the route? He st- I'd say 11 is when he started driving regularly with supervision. Okay. But 15 was the first time he drove by himself when a... A uh, subway conductor handed over the reins to him so that so that conductor could be with his girlfriend for a few minutes. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and he and the conductor said, "Fifteen uh, year old Darius, I just need about twenty minutes. So take the train for eight stops and bring it back to Penn Station, and I'll be finished with my girlfriend by then, <laughs> and everything will be fine." A couple pr- of life lessons all in yeah, one, huh? Exactly. Prob- and Darius, as a fifteen year old, said, "Great, I'll do it." made all the stops and announcements on time and on schedule, but someone noticed that a kid was driving, so they called the police, yeah. and he got his first of 32 arrests. Uh, Adam Irving is with me. He's the director and co-writer of uh, Off the Rails, a documentary uh, profiling a young man named uh, Darius McCollum, um, who suffers uh, from Alice, uh, Asperger's uh, syndrome, in prison 32 times. You said that he was sort of a mama's boy. His mother must have caught on to one point to what was going on. She did. I mean, from the time he was three, he was obsessed with trains. But I think she learned... But the Ill- illegality of it, when when did that become... Well, his first arrest was at 15, and obviously his mother was really upset because mm-hmm. she said, you, you can't go down there by yourself. You, you should be in school. But he didn't want to go to school because he was bullied. He had trouble socializing. And for him... Uh, being in the subway was like his school because he learned things. Mm. Just like in school, he made friends, just like in school, except his friends were middle-aged men. 
There's one tremendous clip in there which which emphasizes or at least illustrates perfectly his passion for what he was doing. You hear one train uh, conductor saying, next stop, 34th Street. It's kind of bland, like, here we go, next stop, 35th. But for him, it was, he got right into it. Good morning, passengers. Welcome to the Dynamite D train. Next stop, 34th Street. I mean, right into it. Oh, yeah. He's very enthusiastic because not only does he obviously love transit, but when he's impersonating a transit worker and driving those vehicles, he knows at any moment he could get arrested and spend five years in prison losing his freedom. So Mm. he drives as though each day, each hour is his last. That's why he's so enthusiastic. And he's been caught a few times because the passengers on the train were like, Hey, wait, this this driver's way too enthusiastic. <laughs> it's way too good. You know, they're used to that sort of muffled yeah. announcement where it's like, sure. okay, next stop, blah, blah, blah. During uh, periods of his, of his incarceration, the uh, New York City Metropolitan Transportation Authority, let's just call them the MTA, would consult with him on various aspects of their business. Yeah, well, it was actually uh, the FBI and other branches of the government that, you know, in tandem with the MTA, would ask Darius, tell us how you gained access to these unauthorized areas so we can stop, quote, real terrorists from doing the same thing and doing real damage. Because at the end of the day, Darius isn't trying to cause any harm or damage any property. He has no political or financial goal. He just wants to get people from point A to point B. So he gladly cooperated with the authorities to teach them how they can prevent other people from doing what he does. And how did he get a hold of the uniform? How did he get a hold of the jacket with with the crest and the the uniforms? And how did he gain access to these buses? Do you not need keys to start a bus? You do. And he had, at one point, 137 keys to... (laughs) He would even have keys to the bathroom so that if he had to go and it was, uh, you know, he was at Times Square, he could just use the employee uh, crew room. He got the materials from transit workers that retired, that were friends with him. And a lot of the times he would take over the workers' routes in the middle of the day. So a a, a bus driver would say, hey, uh, you know, I'm not feeling well. And I'd like to get paid for my work today, so why don't you take my route? And, of course, Darius would gladly do it, never took any money. And when he was caught, he never gave up names of the transit workers who gave them their keys, who gave them their uniforms, because he didn't want to be a rat, and he wanted to keep doing it. He compares himself to Superman. Yeah. (laughs) Darius believes that the act of driving people around a city is heroic. It's the equivalent of Superman saving the world from evil. So that's why in his mind, it's worth sacrificing his freedom in prison to do this thing, which for most people is not really Mm. heroic at all. And it shows that sort of childlike Asperger's mind that Darius has. It's sort of endearing. And he says that the the third rail is his kryptonite. Yes, the 10,000 volt electrified. Because that's how he would... um, you know, yeah, that's sort of the villain for him that he has to watch out for. And it's interesting, as you pointed out uh, a moment ago, that never any accidents, never any problems, never, never. any conflicts with, with any of the passengers. He was, by all sense, he, he was the perfect driver. Yeah. No damage to property or vehicles. Every stop yeah. on time. And now what? What happens now? Well, he is... He's in Rikers? Yeah, he's back in jail. He's awaiting sentencing, and he's facing up to 15 years in prison. And now that he's in his 50s, there's a chance he may never get out. Wow.
What a story. You have to see the documentary. It's called Off the Rails. It is uh, directed by Adam Irving, profile of Darius McCollum. It is currently running at the Hot Docs Ted Rogers Cinema 506 Bloor Street West here in Toronto until the 13th of this month. Thanks very much for this. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thanks to Mike, Mike and Tony, and thank you to Bill. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget, it's very important, and this is Thanksgiving weekend. Go sign up for your organ and tissue donation. You could change a life. And happy Thanksgiving to you. See you next week.